Welcome to Forever Exile, the Path of Exile podcast. This is episode 41. I am Justin, a.k.a. Tags. And I'm Tyler Wrecker of Days. And today we are joined by a special guest. I have a great intro before you find out who it is if you didn't read the title. Today we're joined by Brittle Knee, a Twitch partner, a POE aficionado, coffee drinker extraordinaire, community race and event coordinator, and POE showcaster. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a lot of uh, titles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to put stalwart, protector of knees, and all sorts of other things in there, but it didn't fit. There's a character limit. It's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, well, you probably could if you didn't have like the business part. I didn't put that part in, but if you want to reach her for business, it's, I don't know, there was a Gmail ad- address. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take that part out of it. How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Yeah. Thanks a lot for joining us. We know it's uh, definitely a little bit later on your end than ours. No, it's quite all right. Bit of a night owl anyways, so. Perfect. So we typically start our episodes talking to each other about our weeks, but we both don't really care about each other's week this week. So I, we're both kind of curious. What's a typical week for you like? What's the, what's the week like? What's your week been like? It kind of just depends on what's going on in POE, to be completely honest. I'm, you know, pretty involved with the, the racing scene and depending on if we have upcoming races or events to be planned or what have you, there's always sort of something going on there, whether it's continued development as far as creating POE tools to go alongside racing um, or just the sort of nitty gritty organization aspect of it, talking to the racers, talking to sponsors, getting everything worked out, coordinating with GGG, that sort of thing. It all takes up time. And uh, so there's streaming, there's that, and then there's anything else that I'd be working on. But most of the time I stay pretty busy just between those two things. What about outside of POE? Do you get to do stuff outside of that? much right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's this whole global pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I live in Florida. And if you've seen anything about the news, Florida is not doing too good right now with uh, managing the global pandemic thing. So um, the sort of relative area that I live in right now is actually spiking pretty bad. We're having a lot of daily cases. So I'm, we've kind of bunkered up for the last two weeks or so. Um, got like the big Costco order and have been full hermit mode since then, just trying to uh, do our part and staying distant and not doing any sort of interactions or contact with outside. Is the pandemic life different by a lot from what normal life was before? Um, Not Yes and no. Um, to a large extent, I sort of am, I would say, more of a homebody and an introvert. I like to, uh, even when I go outside, I like the activities that are outside but away from people. So camping, hiking, these sorts of things. But I guess the the choice is no longer mine with how antisocial I want to be, which can sort of be a challenge. The way things are right now, it's like everything has this sort of like risk factor that you have to weigh. It's like, I really just want to go outside and walk around a park or go outside and grab this thing that I'm craving insanely. And it's just, you know, before it was never anything that you even thought about. But now you're like, oh, man, should I? Should I not? Is it worth it? Should I really go? Do I really want gummy bears that badly? No. These sorts of things. Oh, I thought the answer was going to be yes. No, I thought that was like a sorry. sure thing. That is, that's, that's, that's the card cutoff line. Gummy bears, global pandemic, nah. And so where you are, it's, you're going out for your groceries to Costco. There's not the option for some safe online order system. Yeah, there are. But at that point in time, like, how do you determine like the contact? Yeah. 
you know, somebody sneezes on your bag of, you know, tortilla chips and you pick it up right immediately after and rub your eyes, like how long are those contacts still viable? I'd rather just not buy like heaps and heaps of Clorox wipes and like sort of paranoia, wipe down everything, these sorts of stuff. I just, I don't know, it was easy to kind of, I um, have a previous background in uh, medicine. I was a paramedic for eight years. And so when the cases started here that were beyond just sort of like trace contacts controlling and it started to really spread, I just could see the the writing on the wall and kind of, you know, all right, this is what's happening. It's not going to get better. We just need to go get everything and prepare to be, you know, in place here for a month, maybe. And, you know, as a Floridian, too, you were kind of sort of used to this already in the presence of hurricanes. We're used to being prepared to be shut up for long periods of time. That's a, it's a prospect Well, I'm ready for it. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how much of Octavian is. He's still figuring life out <laughs> as a Floridian, but I've got the experience anyways. Are you, are you glad that you're on the end of the job that you are now versus doing the EMT stuff? Um, all this? Oh, that's, a, that's actually a really tough question because there's a part of me that wishes more than anything else I was in the middle of it because there's that instinct that drove me to be a paramedic in the first place, which is the instinct to help people. And um, so it's really hard to be away from it, especially my coworkers and stuff. Anytime we went through a relatively rough event together, whether it was like a an MCI or just a, like a really bad call, an awful fire, these sorts of things, we always leaned on each other. And so it's not only the fact that I'm not able to then help people, that I'm also not there to help them. I miss them. Mm. Sure, there's a lot that you do currently though where you're still able to plant those seeds and help people it's just in a different way in a different community right like a lot of people are playing poe because they're also in lockdown and i'm sure these numbers are skyrocketed compared to other leagues or expectations if there wasn't one and i'm sure how kind and edifying you are with your broadcast and all the community events you do i'm I'm sure you're just as helpful to people just in a different capacity i try and sort of facilitate a uh a community more so than anything else has been the primary focus in building my stream is like from day one, I always sort of saw myself as a custodian of the people that watch me rather than their focus. And I've always tried to like either connect them to resources or make certain things available. So, you know, mental health during this time, especially during a pandemic with everyone being shut up with their, you know, like people like just being in an environment or in, just a situation that nobody's used to. I mean, nobody's been through this sort of situation before. We're all just kind of winging it. And that can be stressful at times, especially when you factor in finances and, you know, am I going to be able to afford rent? And then, you know, like political and all this other stuff, notwithstanding, it's, it's, it's a stressful time for everybody. And so the stream has always been sort of chill, like kind of a more relaxed place to come hang out and not be sort of, but have these sort of issues like up in your, in your face all the time but yeah. during moments of crisis there's been certain people that have reached out and we've always tried to connect them with a lot of really good resources like heart support is an online one that connects people with mental health problems in the video game or greater online uh, communities to other people going through similar things so it's not like a one-to-one professional thing but it's a place where you can find you know some somewhere to belong and someone to talk to and that can be a great help and then just beyond that, too, is just kind of fostering a sense of community where we help each other, you know, in game. We do the community days on the weekends so that we all play together. 
And then, yeah, I guess other community outreach as well. We're all really big into Risk of Rain right now because it just hit its 1.0 release. And that's something that we, we've been playing a lot off in our downtime. That's cool. That's cool. Now, extremely important question here. How's, how's your coffee drinking been through all of this? Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the quality of the coffee has gone down because I must buy in bulk to, to survive. So I, uh, I'm sorry to admit that I have the, uh, the big five pound bag of whatever beans from Costco rather <laughs> than what I really like to drink, which is this uh, really amazing coffee blend out of this little teeny tiny coffee roastery in Montana. Hmm. Now, I, I've seen um, through your links that you have uh, blue bean coffee mm-hmm. is that is that what you're referring to or is that Absolutely. a different affiliation yeah um i'm not sponsored or anything the uh the person that did most of the graphics for the stream actually lives in uh, montana and he used to work for them and we met through poe hmm. just like ran some maps together and you know just started talking and offered to do some of the design work for my site and then uh worked for the coffee company and they kind of wanted to take like a a little adventure into online sales as far as doing outreach through the the Twitch community because you know there's plenty of coffee brands out there. I can't remember the the name of the super fans or the super one, but there's like King's Coffee, King's Roast Coffee, or something like that that do a lot of work with okay. like really high end partnered streamers and stuff like that. And so we did a little experiment, and it, it was okay. But obviously, back then, this was almost a year and a half ago. That I was, I was not a very big streamer back then. So, needless to say, there's some sales, but not a lot. And they understandably were like, "Yeah, maybe we'll come back to this." But when the pandemic broke out, I actually reached back out to them because I love their coffee so much, and I wanted to help them survive. So yeah. I'm like, "All right, I don't want to be you know, like we don't. This is not a negotiation as far as like give me things. I just want permission. Can I just advertise that you guys are still?" here making great coffee like can i just tell people you exist because i really want to do whatever i can because they they their coffee is just so good it is really just so good they actually have a jamaican or blue mountain coffee and their colombian is actually a colombian so gosh it's so good well hopefully they ship to canada because i want to try them out i'm only familiar one of my favorite brands is pete's coffee but that's tip for us it's only available in the states so Anyone who's into a big dark roast, if Blue Bean has a nice solid dark roast, like you're saying, I'm I'm in. They do. They have several really good blends and as well as like several different styles. The uh the one that surprised me was actually their um their Ethiopian and Sumatran blends. I'd never had the experience of uh African beans before. Right and that the, business um, now. Yeah. The uh Ethiopian was quite good. So in terms of what's keeping you busy and you were mentioning the advertisement um with all that you do with poe is broadcasting your full-time gig then this is currently my full-time gig yeah i I still maintain all my paramedic uh, licenses but for now this is what i'm doing and i kind of had to step away from being a paramedic just due to uh you know it is not a a uh a light job to say the least i mean we're we're gonna Mm -hmm. basically glaze over most of it but i had a series of really bad calls that affected me Mentally, emotionally, physically, and otherwise. And it was one of the um, difficult decisions of my life to, you know, at the time I was 28 and to step away from the career I thought I was going to retire in was a a big turning point for me. How long had you been an EMT at that point? Um, Eight years. Wow. I went in when I was 20 and I came out at 28. So 
I mean, the average turnover rate in the field now is less than five years. That's how fast they're turning and burning through them, at least here in the States. And it's a multitude of reasons why, but it is not an easy job, long hours, high stress, et cetera. I guess it's, I'm sorry, but at the same time, it's nice that you can miss it. You know, you knew what you loved and you're in some way able to stay in it in some capacity or you're able to dream about it. Yeah, I just, I think I've lost sort of like the, the things that happened in that short succession somehow, I don't know, changed me. Like I look at my jump bag, I look at my gear, I look at all the things that I still have here that very much are like, you know, almost relics of that time. And I just, I know I can't go back. There is just something that's not there anymore. As much as I would love to just pick up the bag and run out the door, it's just not there anymore. But, I, you know, the, the thing I miss the most is actually teaching. Um, I was a paramedic preceptor, and so I was um, part of um, a couple different uh, other paramedics on my shift that were um, able to have students. And so that was really cool, sort of like training up the next generation and telling them all the mistakes that I had made as far as like, look after yourself and, you know, make sure you take the vacation time. Just don't save it up. It's really, really important that you get away from this once in a while and eat healthy. Don't always eat fast food, like run once in a while. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, just because, you know, eight years in, there's all sorts of things that you've done wrong at that point in time, whether it was you didn't learn something that you should have or didn't do something that you need to and everything from the way you lift a patient to how you check in your truck. I mean, all of it has a consequence over time. So it's really important to form habits early. Uh, so I'm not sure if maybe this is a bit of a 90 degree term, but what what was the brittle knee? Like, where did that come from? Is that have something to do with like an actual bad knee? Yes, I actually have a brittle knee IRL. Um, I used to play soccer and I uh, went in on a tackle. I shouldn't have. The lady was huge, comparatively speaking. I am uh, short and lithe and she was a big old stopper and my knee moved and her shin did not. And yeah, I don't play soccer anymore. Does it still affect you though? Yeah, I mean, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to get eaten first. Like, I can't run anymore. Mm. And, you know, like, going down the stairs, even in the mornings, like a (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. It's bad. That sucks. I have a few of those injuries myself, but not on my knee. I'm I'm quite fortunate. Do you uh, you have a team or teams based on leagues? Arsenal. You're you're across, oh my goodness, over the ocean. Anything local? Are you into the MLS? Uh, not as much. No. It was one of those things that like, I thought I was going to play in college and then, you know, have that be part of a career path. And it was just kind of like, eh, just, I don't know, watch the big games yeah. once in a while and kind of enjoy it. So from the paramedic side, then there's the skip to POE. How did you get into POE? I've read that you tried it out and weren't really into it. So what, what is it that got you into POE more permanently? So I guess it was three years ago now. When tragic things happen, you usually form your worst habits, right? As a coping mechanism to getting over whatever has happened. And so I, in the uh, aftermath of leaving my career, got really, really back into to WoW. Fell down that hole again. <laughs> and I got really into Mythic Plus and I hit rank one Resto Druid on my server in Mythic Plus. And then I like fiercely defended that title at all costs to the detriment of my own health and pretty much everything around me, like WoW does, because it's basically a black hole. Mm -hmm. 
And so I needed to step away. I needed to break the cycle. I knew it wasn't healthy for me long term. And the only game that was going to be even remotely capable of doing that was PoE. I needed something that was content dense and something that was very, very in-depth and had a lot of customization and like corners for me to lose myself into. Things to research, things to learn. But it needed to be something that could be done on my time. So the fact that there weren't all these things built into it to log in every single day, like do your dailies, do these Mythic Plus dungeons, do your raid, do your LFR, do this, do that. Like make sure you have your artifact power up. If you're not doing your weekly caches, you won't get the legendaries you need. So that's something I really liked about PoE was because the, the, league, the league was, you know, three months long and the, the challenges that are set up, you could accomplish them, but you could also take them at your pace. And then you could also, you know, sit down for X number of hours and just go really hard, juice your maps, like just have tons of fun or, you know, just work on something a little bit more casually. And it was completely up to you. And that's what I needed. I needed something that I could be really, really interested in, but something that I could also like just stand up and walk away from at any time. So did you go wow to PoE? Yep. And you hadn't played PoE prior to that? I played it in 2013. I got to Lion's Eye Watch. Uh, tried to interact with the vendor and just kind of went, what? And uh, went back to WoW and D3. I mean, I liked the, I was a huge fan of action RPGs. I have been for forever. And so much of my like formative childhood was watching my oldest brother play D1 and then playing D2 with my middle brother and myself. And growing up on D2 and Warcraft and Starcraft, I was a Blizzard fan girl through and through. So yeah, just like I've been, I've sort of orbited this genre for a really long time, but never played it as a main game until, until PoE. I'm kind of curious, what, was there something particular though, that then brought you back to PoE after that, you know, you decided, okay, I need a break from WoW? Um, one of my friends from WoW, uh, was like, so have you looked at PoE recently? Cause I was sort of telling him my dilemma of like, I got to get out of this, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to destroy my life. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I was like, I just need, I need something else. Like he works and like really keeps his thumb on the, or his fingers on like the pulse of the gaming world, knows what games are coming out, what's soon to be released and all this other sort of stuff. So I was like, this is what I need. Tell me what you got. And he's like, PoE. He linked me a video and I was like, yeah, that looks awesome now. And like, this is not what I remember at all because it was the fall of Oriath. I, I came back in 3.0. 3 where they expanded the leveling system and there was all these like really super exciting things and it was like all right yeah okay i'll come back let's let's try this again and i have played every single league through its entire duration since 3.0 did you go straight into broadcasting no like had you broadcasted had you streamed wow no i hadn't so i'm kind of curious what got you into deciding to start broadcasting and streaming well, the same friend that hooked me up with all this sweet, sweet coffee actually got me into streaming. I was pretty isolated by choice. I'd kind of retreated from the world in the aftermath. And then because I was stepping into an entirely new game without like sort of these like friendships that have been built up over years like you have with WoW, like even if your guild splits up or changes server, like there's always like ways that you guys keep in touch. But moving over to PoE, where I knew absolutely nobody was just um, kind of liberating, but then also because it's, it's good to get away from people that are going to like encourage you to go back to WoW when you're trying to quit WoW. But too long in your own little social bubble can be kind of bad. And I think my friend could see that for me and sort of was used it as an excuse to sort of like gently encourage me back into life in the world. Like, hey, 
you know, you can be people, you know, you can talk to other people too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a whole world out there. Why don't you just go meet them? And uh, yeah, it, it ended up being sort of like this sort of, you know what? Fine. I'll show you I'm people. I'm people, I swear. And what started as this like indignant sort of challenge to, you know, prove that I had mild social skills and could still, you know, hold a conversation it kind of really became this really inspiring road back to really a semblance of normalcy and kind of regaining control over so much of my life, to be honest. Cool. Did you, uh, did, did you have a, did you have a pet back then? Uh, Cause when anyone who's seen your broadcast will know that you're, you're a big, big fan of pets. Uh, what kind of, what kind of pets do you have? I have two dachshunds. I have Liam and Evie. They're both dachshunds. And I recently took on my brother's dogs, too, because they were moving. And so dogs? I ended up with four. Oh uh, it's a mess. But oh they're tiny little dachshunds. So, like, if we super glued them together, they'd be one dog. But, you know. <laughs> Dang. Well, they are really cute. And uh, Justin's the kind of person where uh, one is too many. I'm the kind of person where four isn't enough. So good for you. I, I approve of your choice. It was just one of those things where, like, they're... Both of my brother's dogs are up there in years, and um, it was a real concern that if they, he turned them over to the shelter, that that just might, you know, not to put a downer on the mood, but there are shelters that do not try and find every single pet a loving home. We'll just leave it at that. And I, um, I don't know. I wanted them to have, like, their twilight years in peace. Way too nice. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have individual voices for your pets that you're too embarrassed to say yes about? Not voices, but they all have secret nicknames. <laughs> they have their actual names, and then they have what I call them. And those are different. Gotcha, gotcha. So no voices, eh? No. You don't, you don't talk for them sometimes? Liam talks plenty. I don't need to really talk for him. <laughs> gotcha. You just look okay. at him with a slight look on your face, and he's already defending himself. He's like, I was dead at the time. I didn't do it. I didn't get in the trash. It wasn't me, I swear. <laughs> He'll tell you all about it. Have you seen Frozen 2? I have not. Oh, okay. There's a part in there that uh, that definitely suits people like you and I and our pet. I haven't been That's around my niece and nephew in so long, so I'm like actually backlogged on Disney movies. Like we're gonna have to have like a big old slumber party next time I can actually see them. Mm-hmm. They gotta catch me up on everything that's been released in the last two years. So speaking about broadcasting, both you and your partner both broadcast. That's true. So do you guys have to plan around each other? Like how oh, does yeah. that work? Because <laughs> you guys don't stream at the same time, right? Right, we can't. Um, <laughs> we have really cruddy internet here in Florida, where um, Comcast has the monopoly in our region, and all of their non-business plans are limited to 10 upload. Ooh. So we are actually incapable of streaming at the same time in the business plans that are around 60 to $80 more a month, depending on like what we go with, offer a whopping 15 instead. Wow. So, you know, quite the upgrade for all of that money, but sadly just going to have to decline that. So, I mean, if we both try and stream in like 6K bitrate, we just can't. Mm-hmm. We just start dropping frames on each other and the whole thing turns into a mess. So have you guys found a way to like, do you plan then who's going to go at this time and who's going to go at another time? Yeah, um, my schedule is a little bit more solid. I've streamed at the same time for the whole two years that I've been streaming. Um, cause it was really important to me that like once I built my community, that that was something that was always going to be very reliable. 
like Octavian's had definitely a more sort of like loose schedule through through the years where he's sort of just winged it and streamed, you know, a little bit more on an open-ended schedule or everything. I don't know. Maybe it's just the paramedic in me. I just like schedules and timings and to know exactly what's going on at certain, you know, intervals. And so it, it, we're still trying to find that rhythm because especially depending on the time of the league, we both want to stream, you know, eight to 10 hours. And then it gets complicated when you only have one office with, we don't have the proper sound equipment to stream at the same time, even if the internet could handle it. So yeah, we just do our best and try and find like the, the compromises and the way to work everything out. So both Tyler and I were quite impressed with the fact that when you broadcast, when you do your podcast, all that kind of stuff, you don't tend to have a camera running besides for the dogs, which obviously Tyler loves. Is there a reason? Was there a particular reason that you decided to do that? The, uh, I was, when I first started streaming, I was quite a mess. So that was probably the, one of the first reasons, but honestly, when it, I can't help but analyze everything. And it's, I guess, just, you know, you spend so much time analyzing scenes. Like when you walk up to a patient for the first time, you look at them and you assess their state. But you're looking at everything around them, too. Like, am I in any sort of imminent danger? Does the uncle have a shotgun around the corner? Because that sometimes can happen. Crazy story that one is. But like you're you're trying to paint the entire picture. And so before I got into streaming, I tried to assess the situation as a whole too. Like what works for some people, what doesn't work for others, what's going to be beneficial to me personally, and then what kind of stream do I want? Because, you know, you you primarily have streamers that offer certain things to the people that watch them. Some are incredibly talented at the game. Um, they know the game in and out. And they're just basically paragons of what players could be. Then you've got people that are just like super high energy, very, very funny. They have like personalities and characters and you're there to kind of laugh along with them no matter what they're doing. And then you've got people that are sort of more maybe not so good at the game, but they they foster a really good sense of community and then that's more important to them. And that was really sort of where I wanted to be. I kind of wanted to be, uh, you know, not just like Admiral Baru, but like, you know, I think he's a great person. Like, I, I like his streams. They're cozy. They're comfy. Even though, you know, the viewer counts like 10,000 plus sometimes, like, you feel like you know the guy. And it's personable, even if you never talk in chat. And that's kind of the same sort of like homey feel I wanted. And so I knew early on I wanted to make um, my stream about my community. And the experience rather than something that was focused on me and the <laughs> because it's the Internet. After all, the easiest way to do that is to just not have a camera because then it's just never about you at all. If people get curious, you know, they can look on Twitter, they can look on, you know, Instagram or whatever. But there's, you know, I try to kind of make sure that we're all there for the right reasons. I think it says a lot about you, though, the the character that you are and the the passion that you have for people more than the game itself because of your success without making it about you at all. I'm very impressed even with your community run. I believe, what is it, Saturdays that you, you know, like I see you run people through breaches and stuff. And I think what you do is really cool. And I'm very glad that you've been very successful with it. So good for you. All right, let's get into some POE stuff. Well, we're both curious. Do you have a favorite league and a worst league? Okay. I would say Delve is probably my favorite league. 
because I, I truly believe that it is the blueprint for what is a successful league through and through. Like you could take away some of the specifics around from Delve and that archetype or that sort of scaffolding of what built up that league is going to be what I think is like the, the format of a successful league. There was minimal interrupting to mapping. The mapping or the mechanics scaled through normal juicing methods. So if you were running super you know, invested maps, you got more sulfite from it. More sulfite meant you got to stay down and delve longer if you wanted to. The delve system itself was very simple. It didn't need any sort of explanation. It was drag cart to node, get stuff. Very easy. Um, sure, there was like breaking the walls and stuff like that. But I mean, like overall, just very inherently easy to explain, even though like anything in it might not have been. And then the the variation in rewards was great, too. Like, sure, you had your little garbage strongbox nodes, but every once in a while you'd find something really neat, like a Beyond node or a Currency node or a Tier 3 Azurite node that lets you upgrade things so that you can go down farther. And then actual compelling boss battles. That was something that I really, really like coming from a background of playing MMOs is like, I'm really about boss battles. That is like my favorite part of PoE. So that the fact that we got three like really fun boss battles that were different every single time you fought them because of the, the map mods changing. I thought that was awesome. And then like every once in a while you hit the jackpot and find like seven cities. You're rolling in maps. Maybe you get an exalt. You got all this other cool stuff. And it just sort of tied the whole thing together. And I thought it was like a good balance with the the scale of the rewards that were given to you. And then the entire thing had a difficulty curve that you could choose to engage with or not. You could go down as far as you wanted to. Or if you like got down to like 400 and your build went eh, you just go sideways. You have answered correctly. A least favorite? Uh, a lot of the builds that, or a lot of the leagues, sorry, that end up being too tedious on the way that they pull you away from mapping is not my favorite. Um, so this last one, Harvest, like the the whole garden pulling you out of maps for ages at a time. And uh, Synthesis was like that too, in a way. Even though Synthesis was like more mapping, it was like Incursion, where it was like an extra little area. And it's like, all right, go in this extra area and get a little piece. And then go out of your map to this other area and put those pieces in place and then do more mapping, but different. And I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> it was like all these unnecessary interruptions to like what I would consider like the flow of the game. Like if I want to sit down and do maps, like you don't play an action RPG to like choose your own adventure. You want to, you want, it has to have in at least some regard that sort of like almost kinetic feedback of killing mini monsters, like at the base of it. Like we play it because we want to just smash things to bits, you know? So there's like, I think there's a give and take to that system. Things like Alva and Incursion and stuff like that work because it's, you know, it's extra monsters, but it's like quick. Even if you don't like the temple or don't like the temple's rewards, like the Incursion mechanic within maps is minimally evasive. Aside from the second, you know, the split second decision that you have to go, uh, which room? Uh, this one. Okay. And then you're, you, then you're off. But, you know, the multiple step ones that take me away from it. So I'd say like have to say like, you know, if we separate just the mechanic from like the crafting, I would say like the the extra mechanics of synthesis and the extra mechanics of harvest are my least favorite. But they're my, like they're both really compelling crafting systems that were very interesting. And so I was torn. <laughs> I was torn right in half because it was like, oh, I don't like doing this, but I like doing this. So what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you didn't know at the beginning of that question, but that was actually a test. 
Uh, you have answered correctly on both accounts, and you are welcome back anytime you like. So, oh, congratulations. excellent, excellent! I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have do you have a benchmark for yourself each league? Um, you know, is it a personal or more of a professional benchmark that you have? You know, do you kind of feel pressured one way or another based on what you do with the community, or do you kind of ignore community pressure and do you have a personal benchmark that you're trying to achieve every league? I try to focus primarily on build creation. It's like one of my other favorite parts about PUE is I like solving puzzles. And every single build is essentially a puzzle. Like what pieces go together? Like what gear are you going to choose? How are you going to route your passive tree? And now we've got cluster jewels and all sorts of other things that sort of like scale that power. And so that's probably my favorite part is finding these little, you know, finding a build that it sounds neat and putting the POV together and then putting the rest of it together or as they introduce new skills or new things for old skills. Like it's just so much fun to kind of go through those processes over and over again and then like throw my ideas up against the gauntlet of the available bosses. Like, can I kill a guardian? Can I kill Shaper? Can I kill Elder? Can I kill Uber Elder? Let's go find an all and punch him in the face too. Like, let's go see what we can do with this and see how far I can take it. That's been like a pretty much my primary drive. And I also, even two years in, I am far from the most efficient PoE player. And I think that is fine. I want to improve. There are many things that I want to clean up about, especially my early like league progression and um, how I generate currency. So there's things that I'm still learning and still things I'm trying to improve upon. But I think it's also important for the community to see like a range of skill in PoE. So I'm not ashamed of it, even though there are like quite a bit of pressure sometimes where they're like, wait, is that really you really only have four exalts in your stash and you're a streamer? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of like these, like people will come in with opinions no matter what. But I think at the end of the day, it's good to have a healthy range of what can be expected. Totally. Do you have a favorite skill or build, I guess? Cause you do, all, we're going to, Tyler is like biting at the bit to talk about <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to call them. But do you have like a, uh, a favorite skill or build? I lean really heavily towards bow builds and minion builds. I learned the game on minion builds because I played a lot of Skelly in uh, D2. So like Necro is just sort of like my bread and butter. So that was, you know, anytime there's been an action RPG, FPS, WoW, you know, like MMO, et cetera, I've, I've gravitated towards either pet-based classes or uh, ranged classes. So when I got into PoE, it was really no different. I ended up playing both at the same time, which is SRS, because you stay at range, but it's a pet build. <laughs> and that's the, Love it. that's what I learned. That's what I learned PoE on was I played an SRS Necromancer for my first two leagues. I uh, dabbled off into a couple other builds as I had currency, but that's pretty much where I just, you know, because PoE has a, a pretty, in, I don't know. There are so many things to learn about it, even just from like normal mapping, like what map mods are bad for your build because of the armor and defenses that you've built out. What monsters have big, scary mods that will absolutely one shot you because you don't have this thing called physical mitigation. Like there's all these like little pieces and parts and like. For me to understand those, I needed to have like my control variable. So my control variable, as I learned. POE was the same build. <laughs> so I played SRS until I understood what the heck was going on. And then I could, you know, take that and go, all right, so I'm going to play this build instead. And it has these defenses and does damage this way. So 
now I have to anticipate those changes based off what I've already learned. So <laughs> I started there and branched out, but I, I sort of found my roots in, in the builds that I was the most comfortable with. And so even now, I still play a lot of bow and a lot of minion builds. It's amazing how much you can play this game, even if you have favorite types. You know, how, how much variety there is. If, even if you, all you do is love minions and bows, how much variety you have at your disposable uh, at your disposal to just play it, an infinite amount of builds are there are there any skills that you maybe miss using maybe some favorites that just suck now well in the uh, so-called bow league also what i affectionately refer to as bowmageddon they <laughs> absolutely destroyed the middle investment elemental bow archetype from the game if you think about it you don't see elemental bow starters anymore it's all chaos dot or bleeding and that's because these you know you used to be able to take 8 to 12 exalts and throw them on you know a raider or a trickster or something like that with a bow and you know get places but now you can't the um and it was a series of nerfs that happened all at once that i just don't think they really anticipated it affecting the meta for bows so much we had the increase in boss life across the board. There is the increase in elemental resistances for all bosses. Then there was the elimination of key crafts from the crafting bench for bows. So the percent elemental bows crafts were just suddenly gone. They nerfed the available um, outcomes from certain fossils. So like the double damage one that was a staple for so long was like 20% double damage. Now it's 10 so, like, we had this sort of, like, compounding problem where even discounting the skill gem changes, our access to power was severely limited and everything else got tougher. And then you throw in the fact that they, like, slapped poor elemental hit on the face with another newspaper and was like, back, <laughs> you're too powerful. And, like, the six people still playing elemental hit were like, what did we do? Like yes! <laughs> we, oh, I had a moderate you are welcome build. Back. Anytime, anytime, come back. My come elemental back. hit only had one point two million DPS. What did you do? And they're like, "Back, you're still too powerful." Five hundred thousand <laughs> for you. Screw you. <laughs> and um, the other one was Scourgeo, and I understand why Scourgeo got moved so that it wasn't necessarily a vector for elemental damage anymore. So they changed the way it interacted with. Like it's damages extra component it used to be damages extra chaos, which was great on a trickster because conversion abuse anyways. But yeah, it's just all of your league starter Ellie hit builds, all of your league starter elemental scourgeros and ice shots and lightning shots. They're just not there anymore. It's either regulated to this is for like low tier magic fine or you have a double hatred watcher's eye and 250x worth of equipment. To then do the stuff that you used to do on an eight exalt budget, because it's just how bad it is now. So you Agreed. started at three, three point right? And mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think of the current end game, because you would have played when what 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 was that? It was just Shaper, my yeah. first league. I got all the way to Shaper. I made coffee. I sat down, and then I couldn't move my <laughs> character anymore. And if my desk hadn't been so heavy, I'd have thrown it because I was so mad. I had been preparing for it. I'd watched all the videos. I wanted to take Shaper out in my first league because I was coming from a very competitive MMO scene. So, like, of course, I set the bar at the highest boss and, like, I'm going to get him. 
and yeah, I'd, I'd done all four Shaper, all four of the, you know, the Guardians. I'd gotten my fragments. I'd watched all the videos and I was prepared. But there was just not a lot of fanfare at the end of the league back then, too. It kind of was this like kind of quiet whisper of like, hey, it might be ending soon. And then like it was done and I was like, wait, what? Like it just completely snuck up on me. But I got him the next league. It's all right. <laughs> and what, so in comparison, what do you think of the way Endgame is now? With, I mean, really the last league with the huge overhaul. Oh man, where do I start? There are so many things I like and dislike about it. Like so much about PoE is like, I really like this and I don't like this. But sure. I think that's kind of like how we all have opinions about it. Mm-hmm. I think that the new Atlas system is really neat. And the fact that it cookie crumbs progression through the end game a lot better than the Elder Shaper influence did. Um, even a casual player that can play like four to six hours a week can go, I got a Conqueror Stone this week. Awesome. And then they play the next week and they get another stone and they're slowly making that sort of progression through the end game. And that can feel really good. So like by the end of month two, me or a month, you know, like a month and a half in, two months in, they, they, they have all their watchstones and they can actually fight the big bad and go on from there. I like the Conqueror boss fights. I'm a little sad that they don't scale up or down because at some point in time, the red tier Conquerors become a joke and then you level your second build and you can only fight red tier Conquerors so you don't have the same progression for other builds that you do have for your first build. So like when you start a new league, you get to fight the white tier conquerors and the yellow tier conquerors. You get to like have this progression. So that's something that I think is missing from it um, is like the ability to spawn lower tier conquerors. If you want to try and take another build through that upward paces again. (sighs) And I don't know if we want to go on my rant about the Cyrus fight. I don't know. Definitely. (laughs) We already know we're on the same page. So you go, you just preach. It's um, it's a big old soapbox and I I get on it from time to time. I, I, there's, if we take the whole fiasco with the storms out of the entire equation, let's just ignore storms in general. The fight (laughs) is one of the worst paced fights that they have ever released. It is a joke. For the first couple of ones, like the first couple of rounds you fight him, it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, this is easy. This guy, this, he doesn't even hit hard. Like, this is very easily choreographed. And then you get to phase four when it's like everything together and it's like, it screws your entire world. And I mean, like, luckily I've been playing for a long enough time that like I kind of was used to different boss mechanics and could try to like try and anticipate them. And I knew how to put characters together that would be tough against bosses. But man... When you get slam dunked by like everything at once and then you die and you try and go back to the arena and you get bazooka in the face three times and there's three more portals and then like you're trying to get back into this fight. And in a way it has a complete fail state. Unlike Shaper and Uber Elder, you can't simply just chuck in another series of fragments when you fail. You got to go do all the conquerors again. And sometimes if you're really unlucky, you get four nine track conquerors and that doesn't feel good. You know, when you've got to spawn all those guys and run all those maps again, because like with Uber Elder, it was just run tier 15s until you got your influence back on your on your guardians. And then you did eight maps and then you're back at Uber Elder. So (laughs) I think there needs to be some sort of like respective balance between the two. Like I appreciate complete fail states, but if you're going to have a 100 percent fail state in a game, you need to teach the, the players that encounter. So you need to draw these abilities that happen at the end out. So like 
maybe the first stage stays the same. Maybe in the second stage, the uh, the die beam turns. So you get used to it turning and you go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, now I know how to do this. And then like maybe the third stage, you have the, you know, like the fuel, the thrill of the void, you know, not the big spinny disc thing, but the, the little bazooka yeah. circle thing. And so like you gradually learn the mechanics. So even if you hit phase four and fail, you're still learning what you need to know each time so that you're better equipped each time you fail to then succeed. And so because they haven't paced the fight properly, it's this terrible feeling, especially for new players that don't have a lot of bossing experience. Like I couldn't imagine being a new player going into Cyrus now and getting hosed in like phase four after thinking you got it. And then like losing the encounter, dying all those portals. And then like, Having all those conquerors back when you probably as a new player have like really like not the best map sustained to begin with for red tier maps. Like that's got to feel awful. Especially if you compare it to what a new player would have experienced like you did with Shaper where it was a difficult but a reasonable fight. Yeah. It wasn't a surprise. If you died, you typically knew why versus like trying to get to stupid Cyrus and it's just like you're dead. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think one of the things that's like different about the other the the other boss fights that have existed too is just that most of them are very choreographed. They have very like good contrast as far as skills are concerned. Um, like Shaper's big slam, his beam, everything is very visually easy to discern. And Oriath is a big mess of red. It's just red on red on red on red with maybe some red splashed in there. And if you hadn't seen it, it's also red. And that's like, I'm not even colorblind and I'm sitting there like rubbing my eyes like I can't see what's going on sometimes. It feels like it feels like that. Amen. And then the the abilities, especially even in the shaper fight, can sometimes surprise you. And that's really cool, too, because even though they have clear like definitions or voice cues, etc., um, there is still like that sort of randomness to what Shaper would do next that had to kind of like keep you on your toes. And that was really augmented further in the Uber Elder fight where you had like, especially in the final phase where they're both active together, where you could have these moments of like, oh, God, there's a donut down. But it's, you know, like Shaper has he's uh, he's about to beam, but I can't stand in the donut because he'll beam me. And then he's going to do the tentacles right after the donut. So, like, you're trying to, like, play 4D chess to figure out what comes next. And, like, the only way that you reasonably get out of those situations is just by building the experience as a player to have, you know, died to that situation before to go, oh, don't panic, just do this. Or use your guard skill, dummy, or whatever it is. Like, you have your, um, I like the balance between knowing kinetically what a boss is going to do, but then also assimilating the experience gained of fighting the boss over and over again to know what to do to handle certain situations because that feels good as a player too i think you you worded it really well with regards to the comparison with cyrus where you're not trained to how to deal with it as you get into that fourth stage versus an uber elder fight where you've had to fight shaper you've had to fight elder you kind of know what's happening and the the game has done a decent job of getting you to the point of understanding like you, this is what I need to be doing or watching out for. It's n- it's really hard to do that with Cyrus because like you said, if you don't kill him, it's a long trek to get back to fighting him again. Mm-hmm. And like even in the Uber Elder fight, like yes, there was like the individual Shaper and Red Elder fights that taught you each of their individual mechanics, but then only one was dam like damageable at a time. So it taught you like 
how do you pay attention to one while anticipating the other until like they both went ham and you had like those nice little like phases in between to kind of catch up that was well paced with the ability to refill your flask on the ad phases like it was it was just all around a well-designed fight good pacing good opportunities for recovery etc and just we just don't see that in the cyrus fight it's either stack enough damages that you can tap dance in clouds or do so much damage you unfaze him and it doesn't matter because he can't do anything anyways. And then in between there is like having kind of a lot of damage and then having to chase him around the arena and being really frustrated about it because he doesn't stand still for like any amount of time ever. <laughs> Amongst other things. And I don't know. You want the end boss of your game to feel good. And so sometimes I know they're on a very rigorous development schedule, but I'm honestly surprised Cyrus hasn't had a retune. And I don't know if maybe there's like a Uber Cyrus in the way and they're going to kind of like fix it or try to fix it then. I, I don't know. I, I, I It took them forever to fix this guy. Look at what, three leagues to actually get this guy to be in a way approachable and it's still brutal. Not in a fun way, not in a learning way, like you said. I, I don't know. I, I just hope the reason they're not fixing him is because it's going to completely change when POE2 comes out. I hope this is just like a placeholder and they have something a lot more thought out. So I have to ask, I don't really want it to be a huge topic just because I feel like Reddit and everything has kind of made this a really big topic and it's just because it's on point right now. But what are your thoughts with regards to the Harvest Crafting not going core? Or basically, I don't even want to say that. Just the announcement that GGG made regarding the fact that current in its current state, there is no plans to move Harvest to core. I think it's a I think mistakes were made on both sides. I think that they were fairly upfront in their delivery of this is going to be a broken league. Like we understand the only way to wean you guys off of the crazy loot explosions that were delirium and, you know, blight even, even though it wasn't super popular and Legion before that with the domain of timeless conflict, like the, the reasonable way to wean players from that sort of need, especially like in Delirium when we saw like the uproar about like the Delirium rewards initially not being enough because people want things dropped at their feet, not really taking into account all of the quantity that got added. So they were like, I don't have enough loot. I'm not getting all these loot piles. But it's like there's, there's, there's so many more monsters in the map. Just play the game and you'll get more loot, I promise. But then they were like, no, no, no. All right, we'll, we'll beef up the rewards. It's okay. So that, I think that was their first mistake was sort of like reacting to that feedback and kind of pushing it to the extreme where the loot really became a problem in Delirium. And then having done that, they set the tone for, well, crap, like how do we take this back? So in comes Harvest. And so, you know, like Harvest was initially supposed to be this thing that was, all right, let's put the power, let's, let's give you currency. But we're going to give you a lot of currency in a different form. So like... It just didn't really resonate because people want quantifiable currency, not pseudo currency. Like they want to look in their stash and see 100 chaos, 15 exalts. They don't want to see like seeds and crafts that work just like chaos that you can use essentially for free and not spend your chaos. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight because it's not something that you can definitively see and like put in your stash. And so they were like, all right, we're going to make crafting super broken but have fun with it and don't really expect it to stick around because we know it's broken. And then they're like, it's not sticking around. And everyone was like, surprise Pikachu face. 
So I feel like that was like the first problem that happened with the sort of like dissonance between like, you know, Reddit and GGG. And I feel like the other mistake was when they adjusted the rates of everything, they initially like I listened to that sort of like initial panic from everyone that was like, this doesn't feel good. It's just reforged league. We're not getting exalts. And I feel like that right there, like the prevalence of those higher tier currencies is what really kind of put the nail in the coffin because people got too used to having access to that power. Like think of how often you actually get an exalt in a map. Now think of how many times you've gotten an augment or, a, you know, an annul. Like, res- like correspond those to the currencies that they represent. And then just think of how many more times you're running into these versus what is normally accessible to you. And I think that's probably the biggest problem right now. Is like they, I don't think necessarily that, I think the overall system is broken. And I don't think that a lot of it should go core because it just is too deterministic. But I think the outrage is that they've made stuff too accessible. And people are understandably upset that have had access now. And it's I, it's not even about like the casuals versus hardcore players or all this other kind of stuff. It's just, oh man. I'm like wandering dangerously into soapbox territory again. But I just think, I think at the end of the day, I think expectations on both sides were properly managed and there wasn't enough communication about certain goals and sort of like idea design objectives that they had. And then the entire thing is there's not a lot of understanding for the fact that this was a league that was developed in the middle of a pandemic where they like halfway through it had to uproot everything and go home. And then continue trying to put this together. And we see that. We see Harvest being largely unfinished. Or at least it feels that way to me. It feels like they had a lot of really good ideas on paper down, but then they didn't have enough time to calibrate it. I feel like they were quite clear at the beginning. I'm all, I'm just surprised with, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised, but the community feedback that it's so negative. I thought GGG was quite clear. It's not showing up. And when I hear all these complaints, it's kind of like. I think I think the one side of the argument that I think has some validity is the fact that it brought a lot of people to crafting that had not done it before whether it it is way too strong in the way that it is but i think it brought people into playing a part of the game that they had just not touched before not that this is really poe crafting because poe crafting tends to be a more rng based and you know a little bit more it's definitely not deterministic besides the little bit you can do on the table but I, i think one of the problems was it brought people into crafting that were not used to crafting and then you said, which shouldn't have been a surprise. Yeah, we're taking it away. Or it's not going to go core like this. I remember two leagues ago thinking Conquer Exalts were bonkers broken. If With you what find they, them. What, if you, like, we if, haven't if, found one yet. I have one. Like, <laughs> if you can, you know, you can deterministically slam, like, coal or phasing on kill or all these sorts of things. Like, if you have the right, you know, you take the gamble, you know the right thing, you have your open suffix, and it's like a one in four for something awesome, like... I remember thinking that was bonkers. Yep. And then here we are, right? <laughs> but I think either way, it was destined to have sort of this like outrage. I think at this point, it's just sort of part of the the whole cycle. And I think GGG, either way they went, would have like lost in either situation. Either they commit yep. to this power creep that they don't really necessarily want as game designers or the entire community, or not the entire community, but a, a large portion of a certain type part of the community is just outraged that this isn't something that they have access to anymore. And I understand like the love for crafting and everything like that, but like the the soapbox to get on here isn't that it 
your ability, and this is this is probably gonna dig me six feet under, but the game should not, not be balanced around gear. Like you should not need the gear that we have now to interact with the game. It's up to the rest of the things that are access to the game or in the game itself, from the skill gems themselves to the uh, the passive tree, what ascendancy you choose is, what cluster jewels you decide to incorporate into your build. Like that should be where most of the base game design falls for, you know, getting you to your certain goals. Gear should always augment that. It should never be a necessity because it's a it's it's an RNG based game. You're not always going to have the gear. So some of that has to fall on the the, the pieces of the puzzle you will always have access to. And that's why uniques are the way they are, because they're stand-in gateways to other gear that you can then craft or buy or whatever it is that you want to do. Like, I just, I think that even though it feels great to have that powerful of gear, and for me personally, it allowed me to put together a build that's been sitting on the back burners for like two and a half leagues now that I had the idea about. But, you know, like, like put it together in POB and like, this is impossible. Like I'll never be able to afford this, you know, like, and I, I, I'm a streamer too. I'm one of the, I'm part of the 1%. No, but like, I knew that this was never going to be something that I would have access to, but then this league finally opened it up for me. And like, I appreciate that about the league. Like I was finally able to see what bleed minds feels like. It's awesome by the way. (laughs) But like I had this crazy idea and I finally got to do it. And that's really cool. And that kind of takes you back to like how POE, you know, there's always been the middle meta builds, but then, then there's always been those really sort of like jank hipster builds that just work sometimes and they're really fun. And so like I appreciate the build diversity that was brought through this league, even though a lot of people played Necro. You saw a lot of people trying new and weird things because they could craft like really good gear to make like something that was normally bad good again. So having access to like say a, a favorite skill and being able to take a favorite skill to end game because you can make super good gear. Like I, I understand like that emotional component to the entire process. But for the long term sake of PoE, like that should that's just not a healthy way to balance the game. Where like all of a sudden, like because it just turns it into Diablo. You know, because it's not just it's there's not just like unique sets. It's cookie cutter. Everyone's got the same explodey chest. Everyone's got the same, you know, whatever bow, etc. And I just don't want to see that for Poe, and I don't think it fits with what the future that they have for the game in particular. Because with this sort of like idea behind Poe for the longest time, as far as like the rare having a good crafted rare having the most amount of power in the game, like or the be being the best item that should outperform uniques in most most cases. And then the idea behind the uh, the item culling that's going to happen before PoE2 or in PoE2 where they're significantly reducing the amount of items that we have. It's so like a compelling crafting system needs to go alongside that, but it can't be the foundation. Sweet. This is really easy for me because y- you say exactly what I want to say, but you say it way better. <laughs> so this is this is really easy for me. Because I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, right. yeah, mm-hmm, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. So I want to actually do another 90 degree, and this will be, this is definitely right up your alley and not ours at all. So you mentioned <laughs> in the beginning that you talked about the races, POE races. I have, I have a lot of questions. So I'm really curious how you got into it. Like you started in 3.0, so you wouldn't have played during like the seasons, right? Like the Right, I completely missed all of the races. The... 
first racing event I had was um, Turmoil and Mayhem were the two that I, those are the first two, the little like two week leagues that were back to back. I think at the end of either Harbinger or Abyss. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember. Um, and then like one was just like the bigger version of the other. So Mayhem added or like Turmoil added six exiles. Mayhem was like 24 or something like that to his own. It was like the same league, but extra. <laughs> Did you play in the races? I mean, I, I, I tried to level and all of that and sure. got killed a whole bunch, but sh- right. you know, that was, that was me you at the time, there. you know? Yeah. <laughs> what was the jump then? Because you're very, very involved. I mean, maybe tell, maybe you can just tell us and everybody listening what your involvement is right now in the racing scene. Cause it's very, very involved. And then maybe just tell us how you got into that. Yeah, I can tell the story. The story kind of explains where I end up now. So I'll start at the beginning if that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, just networking and hanging out with other streamers and I was hanging out with a particular streamer called Trix and Camel who was one of the big community race organizers previously, he's since retired, but still very much around in the scene was there too. And Trix was like, you, you know, like we need casters or something like that. And he's like, have you heard BK's voice? And so like Camel and I, he came by the stream the next day and was like, you want to start casting races? And I was like, no, because (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know anything about it. You know, I just been in like my little build creation world. And this was something that I had no experience at. There was no nostalgia factor for me. Like I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, you type in like esports commentary or esports caster into Google and like People know their, sh- you know, their, I don't know if I can curse. You but can swear. Sweet. <laughs> they know their fucking you shit. You know, like you right. have to know it in and out if you're going to be a, com- like, you know, a caster. Like this is expected of you. You should be proficient at what you're supposed to be casting out to not only recognize what's going on, but then also provide context to people that probably don't understand it that are watching for the first time. So you take an event that happens, you hype it up, and then you turn around and explain to everybody like what just happened and why that was really cool. And so, like, I knew I had none of those skills. Like, I had just been secreting words into a microphone for about a year. And that's all (laughs) I'd done. And so, like, I knew if this was something that I wanted to do to sort of, like, I don't know, add to, like, my, I don't know, like, big air quotes here, resume. I knew that I needed to, like, actually do this to the best of my ability and not just be a voice. Because I could have. I could have instantly gone in there and just been a voice and been the the lady caster. And But it was important to me that my intentions were 100% like for racing. So I declined the first time that I was offered a casting position. And instead, I worked behind the scenes for the event for the first time. I got to meet a lot of the behind the scenes crew and um, talk about racing. And uh, Camel was able to like kind of provide me a lot of context and like one-on-one interviews. And then like, I started just talking to the other racers and it was kind of like in those discussions that I'd had with a lot of the racers that I realized that racing was something that was inherently missed, that a lot of people had this nostalgia about the old race seasons and they were relatively upset that they were gone. Like it used to be this whole subculture that just kind of got completely eradicated and it didn't seem like there was much rhyme or reason or explanation given. It was just like poof. And so like, I I feed into the passions of other people. So when I see that people are very passionate about something still and they miss it and it's something that they want back, I want to help. <laughs> like that's the driving force is like, so I just sort of like sat down and I was like, all right, what do we do? How do we make this survive? How do we take what we have 
and turn it either into a model or something that's sustainable or something that can grow to the point that maybe just someday GGG goes, hey, hey, that's a, that, they're, they're doing that racing thing that we used to do. That That's cool. Like, maybe we should do that again. And then my work here is done, you know, like I can I can retire to a nice, you know, cabin in the woods of like, you know, the Adirondacks or something. No, no, I'm kidding. So so your goal is for GGG to take over your mantle? <laughs> Not even that. It was just like that was the only way I could think of because I sat down and I like I wrote it all out and I like made pros and cons lists and everything like that. And I was like, how do I do this? Like how where do we focus? Where do we put our efforts to make sure that this survives? Um, because we didn't, we we still don't know how long it's going to be until we have you know proper racing development done. It might not even be until after POE two that they do anything about racing at all. Um, because they're on. Are they even talking about that? Uh, I can't. I don't know. I, I no. do inside okay. stuff, but nope. I can't talk nope. about nope. it. No. Yeah. <laughs> moving on. Um, moving on. So yes. So <laughs> there 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 are discussions, but you know, sure. You know their their timetable that they're on right now is very strict. And they're very, very invested in delivering POE to as a, they want to be the action RPG moving forward. Like where you don't even talk about Diablo anymore. It's just POE. And then like, there's this other game called Diablo 4. Like that's what they're trying to deliver with POE too. And I respect that. And that's obviously eating up a lot of their time to make sure that they get it right. And developers are far more precious than money or time. And so, obviously, those are being allocated to what they're the most invested in right now. So they can't pull a dev away and be like, hey, do this other thing, because they've already got a laundry list of things to do. And they're on a 13-week development cycle, which exists nowhere else in the industry. <laughs> so, understandably so. Like, as much as we miss it and as much as, like, we'd like to see it again, you know, things are just the way they are for now. And hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. But who knows? Was the reason that they shifted away from doing races because of the development cost and time that was involved? I'm not entirely sure. I've never really asked that question directly, but I would have my suspicions in it so because they talk about developing 3.0. Like I remember going back and listening to certain interviews a long time ago uh, from Chris is like they worked on 3.0 from, I don't remember, some some benchmark that was pre previously. And then as soon as 3.0 hit, they started working on QE2. So they've actually been working on POE 2 since we got 3.0. Yep. And so I think that that's sort of like going into putting out, you know, the the story and how much act or how much the, the or how much effort all of that took for 3.0. I think they realized that if, okay, if we're going to go one step above that, then we're going to have to make sure that we're allocating our resources, you know, strategically and focusing on the things and what are the things that we have to cut that are taking dev time now to ensure that we can continue to push out these products? And so I see this as sort of like a, almost in the way that the body will shunt blood and oxygen away from limbs during shock. I see them pulling away from these other programs in a similar way. Um, they're, they pulled back from racing. They pulled back from, even the flashback leagues are gone now. Yeah. And I sort of see this as like a preservation of the core just like, you know, a body in shock is like, I just, I feel like they're really just trying to make sure that everything goes right. It's good prioritizing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, it's all you can do really. But my focus primarily when it came to the racing scene was to, I thought the only way that we'd really survive is to put it in front of as many people as possible and get people excited about watching it. 
And so my primary focus when I first got involved in racing was to work on the casting. So prior to my involvement with racing, that was multi-twitch and Discord messages and Discord calls. And now <laughs> we have an entire suite of tools, including a casting tool that allows us to broadcast the races in real time. As far as like having ladder updates and being able to switch which people that we're looking at, like multi-twitch, but better. Where you can zoom in, play clips, look at the ladder, everything from the casting tool itself. And then this is a casting tool that's been developed uh, web-based. So it's deployable because PoE is an international game. And there's going to be casters from all over the world. So this has to be asynchronous in the fact that all the casters that are casting together when Ziggy's in Australia and Octavian and I are here. Um, like we have to be able to see the same thing at the same time. And then a single product has to be pushed out to everybody else. So there was a lot of design challenges and like how to develop the tool to make it like both extremely user friendly because it's hard to cast and be your own production team at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But then also, you know, like be something that's compelling to watch, something that's interesting that we're incorporating things that make the racing experience better, like the rip clips that we can play them directly into the, the tool. If we people are like, what's the ladder standings? Or if there's a big upset, then we can show the ladder and show what's going on there. And that's like really important for user interaction. And then on top of that, there's been so many other tools developed too. Like there's a, um, it doesn't get much use because there's not a lot of long-term races that are casted, but we developed an Atlas bot. So the Atlas bot hmm. is the answer to the fact that we don't have access to the Atlas API. And so we have a bot that watches Twitch streams. And when the, somebody opens their Atlas, it goes, oh, look, there's the compass. And it takes the picture. And then it takes mm. that picture and then puts it in the casting tool. So if you want to know what, you know, Gucci Prada's current Atlas state is, we can hit a button show you. Because it's take this picture, you know, from like 20 minutes ago of his Atlas. Um, so, like, there's been so many different, like, design, like, problems that we've had to go around. And it's like a lack of certain... Like inaccessibility with the API, they don't expose a lot. So we have to create all these really weird workarounds for certain situations. But everything has been about like improving the caster experience overall. And I was relatively happy to kind of just be doing like my little projects with the developers that I work with and then kind of like casting on the side. But when Camel retired, I kind of had to step up the rest of the way. I'd been assisting Camel for probably 16 months when he retired, he would decide to throw a race. And then like, I kind of over time became like a, a pseudo organizer where like I would handle the Reddit posts and the organization and make sure that we had everybody ready for like the cast and all that other kind of stuff. And he would take care of like the front of it, like the front of house as far as like getting the racers involved and everything else. And like, now I have to do both. <laughs> and then it was one of my things that like, I, the camel races were great because they were a measurable race where people could test their skill. And it also created something that racing hadn't really had in a long time, which were these sort of like compelling storylines between the relationships of other racers. So like everybody knows who Hellman is from back then, or some of these other racers that, you know, like always, you know, Sunderboy and... <laughs> As far as, you know, like Rise and Dead and Doom being, a, you know, an Ayla too. Like there's all these like, not I'm not going to say has-been racers because they're still very, very talented PoE players. But like the compelling storylines that you could always expect, you know, a certain person to do well in a certain type of race sponsored by GGG or that somebody was like a duelist master 
like they you know you could never beat them in when they did the class races like that person had duelists on luck always so the camel races really brought back that opportunity to sort of have these sort of dialogues and that it came in the form of tie 23 um tie 23 was a racer that <laughs> was relatively unknown was a softcore player and decided to step up and started racing with everybody in the hardcore races and then soon dominated the entire scene and he just stopped losing that says he's just like, I didn't want to lose anymore, so I'm not going to lose. And so he didn't. Uh-huh. And the the amount of information and care that he took towards racing, like he had, he figured out what everybody's disadvantage was through their screen load times because all the gateways are in Texas. And so he could calculate exactly how much time each person lost depending on where they lived in the world and their load times. So, like, somebody's oh. actual racing time, if you subtracted all the load times, like, other people were actually faster racers than others. But because of their distance from the Texas Gateway, they were put at a disadvantage. He also figured out exactly, um, like, how much XP was gained by certain packs. So, as he went through a zone in the leveling process, he would prioritize certain mob packs over others because he knew their HP relative to the XP gained. And I mean, mm. took this and made it an art and like really almost a science too at the same time. And that sort of like, I don't know, created this scene where people were all of a sudden in- intensely serious about what they were doing. Not that they weren't before and like there was sort of like that dialogue and the rivalries and all that other kind of stuff. But like here we have people starting their careers um, on Twitch from racing. And so, like, these narratives are really, really important for the future of racing. Um, It's something that we continue to, I feel like there's a need to foster them. And they're they're good for everyone because it's just good entertainment. You have a race to watch. You know that these two people are beefing. Maybe this guy won the last time, but the underdog is going to take it this time. And who's going to win? But on the other side of that is, like, there's still a need at the end of the day that it's still not the racing that people had. So we've created, like, the esports side of racing. And I am trying to, now that I can like spread my wings a little bit, instead of just assisting with one type of event, I have the ability to create events now and throw them on my own. And so like one of the first things we did was like a little trial race day, but then we brought back a demi race and there hadn't been one for a year. And that was really cool. And it was completely open to the community. We're getting people involved again. A lot of people were like, man, I miss these. This is great. And so I'm trying to find the balance between throwing these sort of like more professional esports style events and then making sure that we still have enough community outreach because if we're not bringing enough people in um, through the community efforts, then we're not going to have sustainable high-end racers too. Yeah. Because people are going to go move on. They're going to go to college, you know, they're going to finish college and go get a job somewhere and not race anymore. And so, like, there's got to be, like, these, um, you have to, if you're going to sustain an esports scene, you have to have that upward momentum. And mm. so I am part organizer, part project manager, part producer. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I really want to see racing survive, even though I'm absolutely terrible at it. <laughs> and I think it's something that POE needs. Like, I think that's still something at the end of the day that is is unfortunate that it was gone in the way that it was and i don't know i like to knock on the door of ggg every once in a while and i send them this proposals and stuff like that it's like this is what you need to do and they're like yeah we know are are those proposals (laughs) them paying for your cottage in the woods for you to retire (laughs) no 
but it's more <laughs> of us just addressing a lot of the problems that face uh, race organizers right now. And one of is the one of the yeah. biggest ones is, of course, is the uh, the private league cost. Yeah, the fact that we have to do races in private leagues because it's the only way to ensure a brand new economy or to make sure that everyone's on a level playing field. They're just prohibitive to open up to the larger community. So a 2000, which is a capped private league, is $1,300. Oh, yep. And so you have this, like, you know, you want to throw these events to sort of nurture that relationship with the community again, where we can be like, yeah, let's, let's, let's all do some crazy stuff. Let's, let's do a class race or let's all get to, you know, let's, let's see who can get to Awakener the fastest or let's, you know, like whatever it is, like, you open that up to the community and it's just, it's, it's absolutely too much because we, there's just not enough support. We don't have the, the access to a lot of the sponsors and all these other sort of things that like more established esports scenes have. Like, even though our statistics or like our, our viewership and our watch hours and everything like that should be bringing in sponsor money. They just kind of go, what's that? Um, so we have a long way to go as far as mm. being able to like routinely pull these sorts of events off if we were going to rely on like outside funding for it. I would rather see the actual PoE league system change before we brought too much outside sponsorship in because, you know, as soon as you start putting brands on everything, things kind of go, you know, you kind of lose your identity as a community. And I think that a lot of like this is born and based in the community. And I think like branding up too much is like a bad direction to go like it's a necessary evil to grow the scene because like you have to have like the sponsorship to then pay for the events but i think you know pub racing survives the more community outreach we do and the more community outreach we do has to come through them either substantially cutting the cost of private leagues or splitting the private league system into your respective private leagues and then racing leagues and make the racing league shorter cheaper easier to easier to access maybe modes that we're used to like fix seed alt start and then just void them when they're done make them for 24 36 hours and then at the end of it it all goes poof anyway so there's not a server load to it or a database load to it so would you say one of the biggest hurdles is the price like for for sure the racing scene right now yeah the two races that i was able to do in may the 23rd and the 30th were all sponsored by one person who was just kind enough to be like you want to do some races and i was like yeah i want to do some races and he just threw like four grand at it and was like do some races but there's not awesome. a lot of people like that in the world that are willing to do that kind of stuff and like the the points gauntlet race that's going to be um going on soon is like a tremendous example of sort of like the the power of the community that's invested in racing. They, they have raised heaps of money for this event through various outreach and fundraisings and stuff like that. So like the, the community desire is there. It's just about, I think as like community organizers and then I guess as a scene as a whole, we just need to try and like, I don't know, keep this momentum up and then find a balance between throwing like the events that are just good entertainment and like, balancing it with enough of these community events too to keep everybody interested and we've recently opened up a discord server which has been pretty cool for community or racers or for who uh, for everybody that is interested if you want to just be um aware of races that are going on because you like watching them you can join and you'll see the announcements as different people put on races and where to go to watch it um if you're interested in racing you know you can sign up as a racer and either do practice leagues with people or sign up for events that don't have, you know, strict qualification requirements and stuff like that. And then there's all these sorts of resources of like 
how to get qualified and what you got to do. And then there's, you know, like we're all in that server together so people can ask questions. And then the people that have been racing for years and years and years can answer. And it's really cool. And a lot of the tools you were talking about, they're all just user developed, right? Like this is a lot of just you and a group of people finding answers to, to questions. Yeah. So the person that I probably work with the most is someone called Pertinex. And Pertinex is the person that's helped me with a lot of the Discord development in addition to the Atlas bot. Um, Muckby is the person that's in charge of the tool, like the caster tool. And uh, Faderon slash Lol, you guys by both, um, is the, the mastermind behind POE Racing. So it's like a lot of different pieces and parts together. And we're all like, everybody's needed to put on a production. Like everyone's got their little thing that they contribute. It's exhausting. And then, and then you have your broadcast and then you have your guides. Like that's. We're getting to those in a second, Tyler. Just calm down. <laughs> uh, I, I just was going to crack a joke at Tyler and I disconnect to racing. I used to love it like way, way back when GGG used to run it. When we had Octavian on, he was talking to us just a little bit about the racing, and he had actually mentioned, you know, that you were definitely a much better person to talk to about that. But he talked to us about a camel race, and when we finished the recording and we were editing it, I was talking to him. I was like, what the hell is a camel race? Like, is this, was this an actual, I didn't know, neither of us knew what that meant. I had to Google it. So, I was oh, just I knew, I knew, I knew, I just pretended. Keyboard. I can't see <laughs> it, but I almost did. Actually the truth. It was pathetic. No. Now I like it a whole lot more. It's a lot of fun to watch. I just, I wasn't involved in that sort of scene at all. Yeah. And it's because it didn't have much of a community presence. I mean, like there was like a forum guide and stuff like that, but a lot of the early camel races like the popularity was all in viewership for twitch so if you weren't really tuned into twitch at the time you probably missed it you know not to because i know yeah. the, the the first camel race had like absolutely insane viewership tens of thousands watching wow. and it's sort of you know like that first event was i think one of the best maybe the second one after but it's still a fight we're still fighting very much to survive and to keep this thing going and um even though like our watch hours are good because you know there are plenty of like Overwatch tournaments and stuff like that that don't have the viewership numbers that we do or the watch hours that we do when we put on a race. But, you know, and making mm. sure that this is something that's compelling for GGG to want to invest to invest into eventually is like we just got to keep it up and then keep growing. That's awesome. And I would I would honestly I would honestly say that if it hadn't been for Camel, um, I don't think the Exilecon races would have even happened. Because if he hadn't provided that environment for people to be interested and to want to compete again in that manner, I just don't think it would have happened. They were fun to watch. Very fun to watch. Even for, for people like us that aren't, aren't into actually participating in them, they're, they're exciting. And you see people looking at systems, not necessarily abusing parts of the game, but you see, oh, well, they're all doing this, and then this one person's doing that. And Justin and I are looking at each other like, how long does it take you to normally do Act 1? It's, it's, it's intriguing. You learn a lot just by doing it and dabbing your even if it's something you're not interested in. I'm I'm so impressed with how much how much you do. So how much of your time? Like I, I've seen that you have some I'm 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 a guide writer as well. And so I like to look at other guide writers and I see you you have you have tons and even in your document that you have, you have from past leagues and current leagues and you, you spent so much time with the POE community. Do you even like have time for your guides? I mean you do such a great job with them. It just amazes me after hearing how much you have to do behind the scenes for everything. I know how much work goes into guide writing. How much time of your community involvement goes into your guide writing or guide responses now? So 
There's always a balance with the amount of time, and I've lost a lot of the ability to grow my personal channel because I've decided to become involved in racing, like the reason why I have very little YouTube content relative to other streamers of my size is because of my involvement in racing. It takes up a lot of like the maintenance time that I would have to sort of do that. Yeah. And so I needed to concentrate those efforts and those outreaches into a format that is going to be easier for someone like me with my time schedule to then maintain. So YouTube videos and like two leagues are obsolete because stuff changes, patches happen, new items get introduced, other ones get nerfed. And I can't even tell you how outdated the SRS guide I made two years ago is now. Like everything's changed. I don't think a single piece of gear she wears anymore is the same. Um, the passive tree is radically different. And so YouTube was not a long-term sustainable um format for me considering I can't regularly update and create those sort of like follow-up videos so I really focused on written guides because that's something like a text format is something that I can sit down and work on and update and change relatively quickly I don't have to do a voiceover and record footage and then edit it and then make sure it looks somewhat good and do some you know like whatever titles credits whatever and then like ship it off um you know, editing is editing, and the, I've always sort of leaned towards the written medium in general because I, I don't know, I've lived most of my life in my head, as weird as that sounds, read a lot, was super busy as a kid too, like soccer, swimming, played an instrument, honor roll, like I was, I was basically manufactured, like all my, my siblings and I, we were all manufactured, we were, you know, like the cookie cutter kids, five years apart, <laughs> only of us, one of us would be in college at one time. Honor roll, two sports, instrument, et cetera, language. And so, like, I spend a lot of time reading and writing. And so it's always been the format that I'm the most comfortable with anyways. And I feel like it's where I can be the most concise because, you know, sometimes I open my mouth and words come out and they don't make a lot of sense or they're not as coherent. But if I can sit and think about something and write it, I'm always going to say exactly what I mean. And I think that level of accuracy and the ability to explain things is really important in POE because it can help people connect to like the skill or what they're trying to learn. Because if you can take it and explain it in a way that they can understand, then they learn it and then they retain it. And then that doesn't only just help them understand that build, they carry those like lessons forward into any other build that they then go for because they've solved this problem or learned how to solve a particular problem with this build, which is then, you know, uh, applicable moving on. And so I really wanted to make guides that were really, really in-depth and ex took the time to explain. Because it's really easy to put a guide out that's like, here's the POB, these are the gear you use, these are your gym links, here's the leveling tree, uh, don't die. Good luck. <laughs> and like, here's a video of me expertly killing a boss with this build. I'm going to make it look easy because I've, you know, played this game for however many hours, you know, thousands of hours, and like, look at me, haha. And so it just was yeah. really important to have like these good explanations, these sort of like honest build videos where like, you know, if I died fighting a boss, I didn't then go fight a boss again until I didn't die and then put that video in. Like I was, I tried to be as honest about it as possible. And if like the build was centered around certain mechanics that were not good for hardcore, I didn't just like, you know, like I was honest about it. Like this is an evasion based build that uses a lot of dodge. You're going to die. Here's exactly how you can keep that to a minimum. Because I can show you in these conditions, you'll have less than a 3% chance to get hit. And then if you run these mop mods, these are dangerous. And if you run into these monsters, this is dangerous too. And like, you're, you're teaching them like how to play that build in the, in the world <laughs> or in the, in, in class or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I guess that's why it's like a combination of being more comfortable with the written language and then also like having sort of like this, I guess I never stopped being a preceptor. <laughs> it's like having this mission of like not only wanting to show, but explain. Good for you. That's an awesome way. I, I completely agree. Now you have three guides uh, I don't... currently for 311? Uh, yeah, there's some that have been updated. There's two that are under construction right now because it's been like a, yeah. a month and a, or a year and a half since I've... um. So the Soul Rest Guide and the Poison Scourgero are being redone this league because it's been a year and a half and things have changed. Timeless jewels, influence bases, cluster jewels, etc. Like these builds need time to be redefined. So the Soul Rest build I've just finished up on this week. The Scourgero I'm hoping to get to after Bingo League. And then so those will be updated. So it'll be five. The uh, Scourgero cold Scourgero trickster is like indefinitely retired because of what they did to my boy. That was my favorite mm. character. And he did. Like, I just, you have to craft the craziest bow and get a double hatred watcher's eye to even like come close to the damage we used to be able to get on him. Like, it's just so wow. crazy. The, when they were like, we don't want people to play elemental Scourgero, they, they, they they meant it. <laughs> they meant it. And, you know, at first I was one of the people like, no, 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 I can't be that bad. Oh, God, it's that bad. So, yeah, I think there's 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 several builds that I... And even the build that I did last thing that I was really, really proud of ended up being something that I couldn't publish because of the change to Herald of Purity. Like that, effectively, it was a Doomfletch Split Arrow Miner where you take you feed a whole bunch of flat physical into Doomfletch Prism, which is a bow that takes 100% of physical as each element. And then I combined it with the Secrets of Suffering Cluster Jewel, which turned your Scorch Sapped and, or no, it took your Shock, Chill, and um, Ignite and turned it into Brittle Scorch and, and Sapped because I wanted to do a Brittle build. Damn it, it's my ailment. So <laughs> um, I, I had right. to do a Brittle build. It actually was so good. It was really, really comfy. I enjoyed it. I mean, putting it up against like Delirium's content felt a little underwhelming because it's like that much harder than what the end game used to be as far as like the requirements for the amount of damage you can do and the amount of defenses that you have available to you. But we went like acro, phase acro, wind dancer, kitsugi, and then we have um, sapped, which is the replacement for shock. Um, which reduces the amount of damage enemies can do for you to you, and we were relatively tanky for a softcore build. I mean, the caveat here is softcore build, but I ended up not being able to put a build guide out on it because without that access, easy access to flat damage from scaling Herald of Purity, I couldn't feed enough flat damage into the beginning of the equation to make the numbers at the end of it look good anymore. And so, like that was a big bummer because I was like, "Yes, I've done a brittle build. It's dead. All right." <laughs> so sometimes even I like your you. best intentions and something that you feel like is going to be something that's going to become a staple or at least something that's accessible for people to pick up and understand and learn uh, it doesn't always go your way you know, depending on what they want to do Doomfletch Prism was an unfortunate like bystander to them hitting the uh, Facebreaker Cyclone stuff with a bat I hear you on um, needing to retire characters unfortunately i uh i had one of those elemental hit characters that got hit really hard when elemental hit and that league that you mentioned already yeah, boom again. it was a sad yeah. day uh it was also sad to um <laughs> to play that character with the introduction of all those influenced characters that they added yeah. but how do you keep 
do you do you have to limit yourself like you you talked about the love of going into how many cool different combinations you can come up with and the puzzle of it and then of course there's guide worthy characters do you have a hard time limiting yourself with the amount of guides you have considering the replies you have to give to the facts well the forums give me like the worst anxiety like when i see like you have one new message it's like oh god what is it i don't even want to look <laughs> yeah. at it right now i don't want to like if i click on it and then maybe I just like put it in this tab and maybe if I'm in a good mood on Thursday, I can look at it. Like, so there's not, it's not like an immediate thing that I always reply because, you know, the, the, for, the forum and, you know, user feedback in general isn't always rainbow and sunshines and this is the best build I've ever played. And there's like actually, you know, like there's a lot of challenges and frustrations with it, especially like when the build that probably has the, the most divisive answers on it is the, um, budget magic find build i put together it's called elemental hit for just like low end investment al can go magic find so people that you pick a tier four or five map that you know alleyways layer whatever it is this league last league it was burial chambers when it was a low tier white map um and you pick a build and you you know alka map and you go and then you, you you run it really fast and that's that and like you still get some you, you know you get some of the satisfaction out of having the quantity and everything like that but then there's like all these sort of like user misconceptions that happen where they'll watch streams or YouTube videos and they'll see like super juice, like Forest Scarab, Tier 16, Delirium, blah, blah, blah maps being run and all of the loot that pours out of it. And then they go, Magic Find Deadeye Build Forum, go. And they find my guide. And they're like, sweet, it's budget. It only costs 8x. Like, yeah, I can't wait. And they put it together and this build sucks. It does no damage. I can't kill anything in a tier 16 map. And like front and center, it's like, this build is for magic fine only. You should not expect to kill a boss over tier 10. This is like super low investment, introductory, brain off and watch Netflix while farming kind of build. Um, I have two of those. I have the Magic Find version of it and I have the Darkness Farmer because that's the kind of like farming I enjoy. Like if you want to play that other kind of farming, which is like super high investment, there's plenty of builds out there for that. But, you know, sometimes you run into and those are the <laughs> the after I published the Dead Eye build is when I got really afraid of the forum messages. Like they'll be like, oh, you got three more messages. And it's like, <sighs> I don't want to look at them right now. I and then you, you click on it and then it's like, hey, I love this build. And you're like, yay. All right, cool. Like, because someone has like a really good experience. Like one of the ones that I think is um, actually probably more positive than the other ones is the uh, the chaos, the caustic arrow trickster that I put out. Mm -hmm. He is super, super tanky. And it's a guy that I spent a tremendous amount of time and detail on as far as explaining his defenses, the gear, how to craft the gear. How you start in a league because you don't start a league CI unless you have, you know, you can progress that quickly that you can just put ES gear together. That class. Tyler goes there at 15. <laughs> uh, 16. All right. That's not, that's not get it out of, that's not get it. And so you have to start as like mind over matter and then you transition to CI and how do you transition? Like, how do you get your gear together? How do you use POB to determine that your gear is sufficient enough to then transition so you don't spend the regret points and go fuck? <laughs> And so, like, I put a tremendous yeah. amount of effort into this guide, and it's been really, really successful because I get the, the there's so many people that come to the stream. And they're like, "I'm trying your caustic arrow trickster. I'm farming Sarius for the first time. It's super tanky. It doesn't matter that I'm, you know, 
I'm not so good at the game. I'm actually able to learn this batshit crazy encounter that tries to murder you in phase four and isn't forgiving. Like, it's really cool to have that sort of feedback, too, to be able to, like, introduce people to parts of the games that they couldn't current, like, before access. So it's really fun to do the niche builds, like the Darkness Farmer and the Elemental Hit stuff. And then it's just really cool to have just a good, solid guide that helps people experience the game. Because as someone that loves the game, I want more people to access that content. Yeah, it's amazing how terrifying some replies can be or the potential of some replies. But then when you get those edifying comments, it's it's worth all the effort you've put in, all the effort you've put in. Are there some replies or what are the hardest replies for you to reply to? I mean, there's some that are easy to ignore, right? The ones that change your build up, but then say your build sucks, right? Those ones. OK, well, you change the build. So have go have a good time with your build. But what are some of the hardest replies for you when you're replying to someone you feel like you have to reply to it but it's that's a tough one what is that it's actually a really good question i would say the the ones that are really frustrating to me are the people that come in with preconceived ideas of how something works and then when it doesn't work to their um, expectations because they think that they already know something and then they pick up your build and then they do their interpretation of like what you mean and then it's like your fault <laughs> <laughs> it's like I get it. did you read like I, I i i promise you the words are there and you know i guess like because a lot of people have access to the you like the guides on youtube and stuff like that where they can just like watch eight to 15 minutes of a build guide and like kind of know what they're doing where a written guide requires like a little bit more investment not all of them but the more in-depth ones do so that one's always really difficult because like you have to tiptoe around how to provide feedback when you know it's their fault. And I feel bad because this is like what IT people have to do with on like a, an all-time regular basis because like 99% of everything is user error. It's like, how do you explain to somebody that they're wrong because their knowledge is wrong? But then like they think it's your fault and you're blaming them. And it's like, how do I communicate this effectively? Because at the end of the day, I want us to both understand what happened and what went wrong. And so that one can yeah. be really difficult, especially when that person is then in turn not willing to listen. Because it doesn't matter how carefully you try to approach the problem that's happening or word it or lead them to the answer. There are some that just will not change their opinion. And those are the ones that are like the harshest to hear. Yeah. And it's not even just relative. It's not even just relative to the guides too. I mean, like you get those contents as, or those sort of comments as a streamer sometimes too. They like they wander their way into chat. It's like you give the worst advice of any POE streamer I've ever heard, and I'm like, ah, ah. <laughs> I don't know how you guys deal with it. I would lose my mind. No, no, no the, the answer nasty. slash ban slash ban. See, thanks for the input. Really appreciate it. So, are there certain themes with your guides that you put out? Like, you have a dark delver, right? You have a magic finder. Are there certain themes within those builds that you insist on keeping? Kind of like your your brittle one, right? You you really wanted brittle to work, and then of course it couldn't according to your standards. So, so you completely removed the guide. Are there other niche elements of your guides that you insist on having, even if it's not like the most efficient in a min maxing world? Absolutely. I try to make sure that all my guides are like achievable to, I would say like maybe not everybody, but a good majority of players. So like my top end budgets are usually like I cap out at like 20 to 25 X is usually like the most I'll put into a build because I want it to be something that people can look at and go, this is realistic to me. And I want my numbers to be realistic too. Like I want POB to 
show, you know, like for investment, these are what you can actually accurately expect, not sell you on what it can do min-maxed, and then show you what you get to do in the meantime while wishing you could do something better. Um, I believe that having really honest con communication about what builds cost and what they can achieve relative to cost is very, very important. And I always try and use, like, I don't put guides out until I've actually played the character. Like, I don't do theory craft release guides. I put them out as, like, maybe little bite-sized guide where it's like, hey, I put this idea together and I think it's neat, but it'll never be a forum guide until I've actually played it. Because, like, I also want that POB to have, like, real gear, in, like, in it. Like, not just new item, new item, new item, but, like, actual gear that people can interact with and, like, understand, like, how to balance like okay well if you use these uniques then that means that i have to prioritize heavy resistances on these two items to make up for the fact that i'm going to go for an influence mod on this other item and then it's just like from there i just don't even i just i, I don't even know where to go from there it's just it's all so important and it's really important yeah. to communicate it too and it's just like i get frustrated the most when I see people cheating POB and they're putting out build guides that aren't accurate and they're selling false promises to people that will never achieve it. And there's this like dialogue that exists now where if your build does 4 million damage, people think it sucks and you don't need more than like one and a half million shaper damage to do all content in the game. And if you have defenses with that 1.5 million damage, you can have a comfy time playing the game, too. Like, sure, you're not going to blow something up in five seconds like you see, you know, X, Y, and Z streamer do. But you're going to be able to accomplish the content that you want to do in a realistic manner in a budget that's approachable to you. And I think that is probably, like, my, my biggest drive in the guides that I do. That, yes, some of the builds can cost a lot of money. There are in-game, there's an uh, in-game section in every single guide that shows, like, all right, now if you want to go completely ham, this is what you do, but like the, the, the first POB you click on is never one that's 40, 50, 60 exalts. It's never that way for me. And then with certain other build thematics, as far as like the, the low investment magic buying character, that's to introduce people to that type of content. That maybe they've done maps for a little while and they hear about magic buying and maybe they want to do it for the first time ever, but like this is what they can afford. So it's about teaching them like how to work within those parameters too. And then they drop a doctor and they get like 12x and they're like, holy shit. Like I just made back the entire build worth of money with this one card. And then teaching them about sustained farming as far as like just like how quantity works in relationship to everything else. And like how running maps quickly is good in some ways for people than running like a really juiced map slowly. That like it's all about yeah. monsters per hour. And to approach monsters per hour in the way that makes the most sense to you as a player based on your skill level and time. And then the darkness farmer was, I don't know, I try to look out for the little guy. I want people to have access to currency generation that they might not normally have. And I want it to be something that's baseline or something that's easy to understand that anybody can just pick up and do. So like you have like the, the casual magic buying that is like big reward but low turnover so like you only get the doctor card like once every four to five hundred maybe six hundred eight hundred nine hundred maps and that can feel really bad during a dry spell and then when you drop two of them it's amazing but you know like some people like that rush other people are i work nine to five i get to play for an hour on tuesdays and thursdays when the kids are at soccer 
And I get four hours in the afternoon on Sunday when everyone else is playing outside and like that's me, my me time. And it was really important to provide people that have a more casual play schedule the ability to access currency and create it consistently. And that's what Darkness Farmer is. That's what that solves. It's from the Delve League. It's been revamped so that it can survive in the current uh, way that Delve um, is. But it's a it's a very easy money in or time in money out situation because you're selling the same like three things. You're selling resonators, you're selling whatever currency drops out of boxes you click, and you're selling fossils. So you're spending less time selling because you're trading everything in bulk, and then you're only selling certain products. And then what you're doing is completely brain off, and it's approachable at any time because it's going to be consistent over an average where a doctor card won't be. I, I like your style going into how you write guides, why you write guides, and uh, I wish more guide writers had your honesty. I think that's a big issue when it comes to guides, like you said, with the impression that people come in with. They, they half read all the effort that you've put in. You've clearly communicated it and they have some, for some reason, a misconception as to what you're providing. I, I really like what you do. And uh, I, I hope you're encouraged to continue it because I think you're very valuable in this aspect of the community as and well. And I want to get better at writing guild builds too. Now that I've been around for a little while and I've made the mistakes and I, I dabble into hardcore once in a while to continue to push like my knowledge of the game because that's like the ultimate, right? Like if you make a mistake, you're dead. You have to start over. And eventually that's something I want to transition to, but I'm not good enough at the game right now. I don't think to play hardcore for all time and be a build creator in a hardcore environment because that takes an entirely like extra layer of understanding about the game to be able to understand like how do you prevent all of those things that we kind of giggle about and go I got one shot you know like that's not you know if you're trying to do build development and you get one shot you you don't get to develop your build that's that's it that's right so especially with the uh the caustic arrow trickster I was really trying to push defenses on that one and I'm really trying to make guides now that are even more open than normal. I want them to be hardcore and software viable, and I want them to be approachable in an SSF environment. And so like I've created a new standard for myself, which is probably, I'll probably be putting less builds out overall, but the ones that I will be putting out will be sound. And that's like kind of where I'm, I think evolutionary speaking, like that's where I'm going next as a build creator. For you, good for you. Solo cell phones like a whole new animal when it comes to guide writing. So good for you. I think that one's probably going to reach as many people as possible in any world. You know what I mean? You could be looking for a build and not care about solo cell found, and your build's still viable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're also reaching the solo cell phone community as well. I've I've seen with well, what what do you what do you think about this? Before I ask my my filter question, because I always got to sneak in a filter question here. When it comes to guides and guide writing, do you think that the offense, I mean, it's nice to have the tankiness, and unless you're going hardcore, the defense is obviously extremely valuable, but do you think the game is achievable going defense first? I think it comes down to your personal temperament as a player and what you expect to get out of PoE. Um, just like there's a diverse amount of classes and diversity in the way damage is dealt in MMOs even, you know, like you have your warlocks that do damage over time, you've got Hunters that do damage by proxy. You've got warriors that do big mortal strikes for tons of damage. Like the the way you deal damage and the way your character can react to its environment, I think is a temperament thing more than anything else. Like you know what you like as a player. If you want to be big tanky man and smash monster and you don't care that it takes you 15 minutes to kill Minotaur because you don't die. 
that's acceptable to you because that's what your temperament is. And then there's some people that like they try like a chaos dot build for the first time and they go yuck because their personal temperament is I went big crit explosions. And if my Herald of Ice doesn't actually chain like five screens away from me, like I am not satisfied as a person. And if I don't move at 260% movement speed, it's too slow. So I think I, I don't I don't think it's really up to a build creator necessarily to like cater to the individual temperaments of players, but just to provide a consistent product for the people that do enjoy that particular type of build. Now, this is this is on subject, but is your favorite color teal? <laughs> it's just branding, you know. <laughs> I was actually okay. like there was a, a number of colors that we picked out when uh, Nova and I were working on our on my graphics together because like in all things that when I decided to start streaming, I decided that I wanted to be serious from day one, that I wanted to show people like this is what I'm about and this is my impression. Um, so it's really important to me that I was branded up like I had my brand ready, so to speak, and I had my banners ready and everything was like done. And so we were going back and forth on the color and that's what we ended up settling on. And I don't know, like everyone has their little personality quirks. Like some people like to match their shoes to their handbags or their belt to their shoes. And I just like to match my filter to my stream. I just, you got to have that thing, right? I'm a filter freak. And so I like that detail. I like that. detail, And I think your color combinations and your filters are awesome. They look as good as somebody that matches their shoes and their purse. That's one of the things too, is like, there's actually hidden depth to the filter too. Both of my brother and my father are colorblind. So the patterns of the colors themselves, even though there's like three or four of them total in the entire guide, the way the patterns of colors show up indicate what an item is. So black border with a white text is always going to be unique. A white or in a black border or the other way around is going to be a rare. Even though they're using the same like four colors, which is going to be like a black, a gray, white, and the teal, like the different combinations. And then the tiers are consistent too. So like a really good item, whether it's an exalt, a doctor card, a certain scarab or something when you drop it onto the map you know that a tier one drop is a tier one drop because it's always colored the same way so that's a cool yeah layout. i just i don't know like because because filters because people can get really crazy with colors on filters and so like i think the the monochrome kind of like calms things down and then there's the other aspect of where i try and be like you know friendly towards like because that's the environment i grew up in is like you know like casually taking my dad by the corner of his elbow and being like you need to go and change your shirt like olive green and navy blue plants still go together go change like you can't see it you know because he's colorblind and like both my yeah. brothers are too so it's just something i grew up around so it wasn't even like a it's just something i did like it wasn't like a mission awesome. it wasn't something i took upon myself it's not like i like created this like i'm gonna make the first colorblind friendly filter 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 it's just, you know, I just, you know, it's just, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, this is what I'm going to do because there's people out in the world just like them. So why not? So we can guide people that are colorblind to your filters. Are they made for everyone or are they guide specific or? Yeah. Like, so if you put in the PUE profile or whatever, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you access it, but it's through Filterblade. And so like you can go from my PUE account, I think, and get them. And they're, uh, they're available in the Discord too. But it's if you want to stop by the Discord. Have you ever wanted to change your color, but it'd be way too much friggin' work? No, I actually like it. I mean, it's not my favorite color in the world, but it's a very tolerable color. It's not too harsh. Uh, one of our listeners, TJ Dodson, messaged us just letting us know that he loves your Infinite Delver build, and he wanted to know if you have any other niche builds that you're working on. Not to that level of like customization to a certain 
like mechanic in the game. Because that one, that one actually completely happened by accident. Uh, the Delve build came out of watching a YouTube video that somebody linked to me, like, because I was playing a miner at the time, because I was trying to get into mines and learn about mines. And I was like, man, saboteurs are so fucking squishy. Like, there's no life on the shadow side of the tree. And, like, <laughs> I just die all the fucking time. Like, what is, you know, you know, classic minor problems, right? That they're glass cannons, typically speaking, especially when you go to the glacial cascade route before you go low life or you have, like, 4K life and do, like, millions of damage. But if something sneezes on you, you're dead. And someone was like, have you seen Akane's ball lightning mines? And I was like, no. And that's where I learned about the interaction with Agnostic, which used to be on the um, the Templar Timeless Jewel, and Indigon, which is a helmet that takes all of your mana recovery and turns it into life recovery. So you have these like two really powerful um, synergistic things that basically, as long as you can pump enough mana recovery into your build, you don't die. You can sustain like crazy amounts of degen, which the darkness is. And so like I saw... They, like, I think in the video, they tank, like, 80 stacks of darkness or something like that. And I was like, oh, I can make a darkness farmer. I know how to do this. Like, I remember enough about what it was, like, five leagues ago. And this is how we can sustain it. Because the way that they nerfed, the, the way that they dismantled darkness farmers were by making it so that they got hit. So they figured out that, you know, three life and five energy shield was immortal. An old delve. So they're like, fine, you want to do that? Um, phase run doesn't make you invisible anymore, and Tim Chains is less effective on rares. Have fun. And then so you try and run through the delve, and you're like, poik, and then you die. And you die over and over and over again. It's super frustrating, and it fell out of style. But what's so cool about the, the new build and the new way to approach it was that suddenly it didn't matter if you got punched in the face. Like, you could take it. You had all this insane region that you could region, like, huge hits from delve monsters while also, you know... <laughs> degening or like going like sustaining the degen of 180 to 250 plus stacks of darkness so it was a complete accident if i had never seen akane's video i would have never had that spark of inspiration and without the spark of inspiration there wouldn't have been a build so sometimes things mm. just happen <laughs> like some of them is like That's like cool. the the build that i'm doing this league as far as the explosive bleed arrow mines like that was something that i like thought was really cool and I worked out and it's been sitting on the back burner for forever. And like, that's something I just like thought was neat and put it together. So there's definitely one, ones that you manufacture from yourself. And then there's other ones that come from like outside influences. Have, have you thought about the direction your guides could possibly take with POE2? I don't know what to expect, to be honest. There's going to be like so many yeah. different access to things that we have never been able to do. One of the most like prevalent issues that POE2 is going to solve for like, one demographic of build that I play, which is minion builds, is socket starvation. Most mm -hmm. minion builds are very, very socket dependent to the fact that they usually have two one set rings and multiple like awakened craft or crafted items that will contain multiple links themselves. So like the pseudo six, seven link helmets for specters and all that other kind of stuff. Like those exist because that's a big problem for summoners in general. And uh, with PME having multiple skill gems and all skill gems being linked, like you're going to be able to have utility specters that don't die in the middle of a shaper fight because you can six link them. And you're going to have access to all these sorts of crazy auras and you'll be able to like have totems that cast a curse and then debuff for you at the same time. Like, you know, there's like so many, so many things like quality of life that are coming. And it's so hard to anticipate how that's going to change guides. But I, I have a feeling that 
what we're going to get out of all of this is a lot of access to utility that just we haven't seen before. So I have a question regarding leagues and if there's any mechanics that if you could, you would take out. I hate tormented spirits. <laughs> really? I really? hate the Why? ghosts. They're so frustrating. They're like loot goblins, but 10 times worse. Like, I understand during the actual <laughs> league that they were cool because you'd gather up a whole bunch of mobs and then you'd run them through them and then it'd explode in quantity and it would be it would be awesome, right? But now they're just these really frustrating things that, you know, like for the most part, you either one shot, don't even notice that they're there unless it's a martyr ghost, which will explode on you and die instantly. And it's like, oh, man, I was like 98% of the way through 97 that took me like, <laughs> I'm going to have to go do 50 maps to get that. No, I'm just going to really, it's not that bad. But like, no, oh, it takes me a it's year. It's just like a really, I don't know. It's a really frustrating mechanic with not a lot of rewards. And even though they try to tie in sexons that like, if you have possessed monsters, like they'll drop scarabs and it's like, nah, mm -mm. not buying it. I am not so easily swayed. These need to go. I'm actually really excited <laughs> about the concept of league calling. Um, the fact that they're going to try and start phasing out certain aspects of the game, I think that's healthy for a game overall, because it also opens up the opportunity to revisit that league, but better. And I think that's really needed for the, like, the long-term, like, survivability of PUE. Like, Essence is great. I love Essence crafting. It's something that, like, especially in the presence of Delve Fossils, kind of got pushed away, because it was just something that you collected, you click the monster, you kill the monster, you pick up the things, and you make pretty rainbows in your stash tabs. And then that's it, right? They go to standard and die, and maybe you have like 50 deafening essences in standard, but like who the, who the F cares, right? But like targeted crafting was really cool. That was the first, you know, reforged with a guaranteed physical that we ever had, as far as the way that it exists now in Harvest, where you were like, I need cold resist on these boots. Let me just go buy some hatred essences and spam these until I get, you know, a decent life roll, cold resist on boots, and maybe some move speed. And so like there's like... By taking away certain old systems, we have the opportunity to reintroduce them and refine them and learn from the mistakes of previous leagues to carry them forward. Because I feel like in some ways, you know, like Legion was successful in certain ways because they learned what worked and what didn't work from Breach. And they carried some of those design philosophies forward. And I think that like each iteration, I don't think PoE necessarily has to always introduce leagues that bring new content. Or have to have a new idea. I I definitely don't admonish them for doing some of this like exploration that they've done recently, as far as like delving into different mechanics. Because games grow when they assimilate things that work from other games into their own, they get better when they take good things from other games. And sometimes they don't work because an action RPG at the end of the day is I want to kill many monsters and blight feels bad. The only time Blight felt good was Delirium because they made stopping worth it, you know, because it would multiply the amount of Delirium rewards you got by that much and all that other kind of stuff. So there's like tweaks that need to happen to these systems, but it's like the overall exploration is not bad. And I wish that they were more critical of the of the content that they actually do let into standard. Like, I honestly wish the 10% thing would go away. Well, I hope that's quoted somewhere and put on a plaque in their office. So I just, I think that the template implementation is like, okay, for certain things, like things that you should, that naturally have a mechanic that you would stumble upon. But for other times it like, it just doesn't work. Like some of the master missions being as like less prevalent as they are, or you have all of these sort of like 10% things like all add up. And 
I don't know. I'd rather like see more cohesive integrations into the core game than just make it like sh- take the league, cut out some details, and then like put it in at ten percent. Like I kind of want to see them, especially in leagues like Metamorph. Metamorph was an unfinished league. There was an entire extra layer to Metamorph that never got shown, or at least the way that Metamorph is tends to lean in that direction. Like, why does the lab exist? I mean, the the Metamorphs are crazy hard in maps because they're affected by map mods and then they have their own rare monster mods and everything else that affects them. But then you take those pieces and parts and you bring them to the lab and it's just this wimpy little boss fight with, like, no rewards. And then there's, like, this extra bar and this whole setting and it's like, all right, well, what is that for? (laughs) Well, there is supposed to be, or it seems to, I don't know, imply... That there was going to be like a super goop monster. That you're going to take the parts, the organs from the maps, make other organs, and then assemble like the biggest bad monster that was going to be super scary. But they just never got around to it. Like if if the if how we interact with Metamorph was its design core, the lab wouldn't exist. Like organs shouldn't exist. They're redundant. Like the the most like the rewards that you get and everything else are great, and then like who actually takes the organs to the lab and does the metamorph monsters? Like maybe you do it on a Tuesday because there's nothing else to do, but for the most part you don't prioritize it. And now there's a league tab for it too. Like I don't I don't mean to feed into like the conspiracy about the extra tabs and like if they were doing it to make money or whatever that, but it's just like here's a league that was not finished or didn't seem to be finished to the begin at the beginning. Now it's forced into the game at a 10% and then it's like perpetuated rather than thoughtfully like, all right, this is what works. This is how players interact with it. This is how we can incorporate it and make it, you know, rewarding and fun. And I feel like there's almost too much weight given to preserving a league as much as possible from like what the league was. I feel like they should cherry pick the stuff that works and then find a way to incorporate it thematically into the core game. Rather than just doing what they do right now. What's the uh, beginning of a league like for you? I mean, you have all these responsibilities. You have your races. You have your guides. I don't know if you even try and get your guides out by league launch or if you're fine getting them out, you know, throughout the league. But in terms of, do you even have time for gameplay? Or is it all about your community requirements? Or not requirements, I should say, but, you know, you're involved. So the week, week and a half before a league is actually the best time to stream as a smaller streamer. Because uh, everyone else is resting up and getting ready for their big 100 push. Um, so you're mm. one of very few people online um, that people have, like, if they want to watch PoE, well, you're there. You're like the 7-Eleven of PoE streamers at that time. You're, you know, like, maybe, it's not, but you're always open, that sort of thing. So I stream as much as I can in the week before, and it's actually intensely busy for me because, like, I'm trying to wrap up the league before the league ends and finish off anything that I need to do as far as, like, killing bosses or trying out different builds or anything like that. And then there's the week beforehand where there's, like, the big hype cycle. So you're reading patch notes and you're talking with the community and you're trying to, like, get get, or judge how everyone's feeling and who's excited about what and then answer, like patch notes win and what are your league starter and what are you going to do and it's like i don't know until patch notes and then when patch notes hits oh god i'm just like adrenaline (laughs) and coffee and like almost like how i am now coming into like having launched the bingo league now or like gotten it ready because when patch notes hit i have to update every single guide that i want to push forward for that league 
because each pat the patch notes affects each of the different builds differently. So I have to change what I need to update their POBs, record it in the change log. And then if it's introducing a new mechanic, give my best estimation of like, here's what I think is cool. So like when they release cluster jewels, I made a list of the notables that I thought would be useful to the build. I didn't just say, go get these cluster jewels. I try to leave it a little bit more open-ended. Like these are what I think are cool and this is why. And so if it's an introducing a new mechanic, then I have to do that as well so that people that go and use it for that particular league have some sort of guidance. And then I have to do it across however many builds. And then every once in a while, I get a crazy wild hair up my ass and I decide to write a 30-page leveling guide because I don't know. And then I give myself <laughs> like the most intense, you know, case of carpal tunnel I've ever had two leagues before, or two days before a league. And uh, then play Scourge Arrow, which is great because, you know, Scourge Arrow actually has this hidden multiplier that the harder you hold down the button, the more damage you do. <laughs> and so, like, I basically destroyed what was left of my wrist that league trying to, like, start on Scourge Arrow. It was, it was a crazy time. But league starts are pretty crazy because then on top of it, there's, like, the real life aspect of it as well. Is like, not only am I trying to, like, turn out these guides and get my community ready and then just be available so that I can continue to grow as a streamer. It's like I got animals that I'm, you know, I just can't ignore that they they exist. I got to like make sure that they're healthy and happy during the time because I'll be paying a little bit less attention to them. And then I got to worry about me. Like this, the, this, 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 this thing that I inhabit, unfortunately needs rest and food. And I have to, you know, I meal prep most of the time, make like a couple different casseroles or whatever and like freeze half of it and portion it all out. Like it's, it's, it gets intense sometimes. But when League hits, I don't know. Usually I start on something that I'm comfortable with. Every single time that I've tried to start on something that's new and introduced, it usually does not go well. Um, so this last League, I started on Penance Brand. And even though I was super excited about Penance Brand as like this um, kind of mobile divine ire or divine, yeah. It ended up being like, it's just not a play style that I'm inherently comfortable with and like. You know, like I, I like bow and I like minion builds. I'm a very simple lady. I see bow. I see minions. I'm on board. And so it was like such a radical departure from like what I was comfortable with. That even though I can put together a, a competent pendants brand guide and we got it did exactly what I needed it to do, which, which is to get me to tier 16 maps and kill guardians. It's still just like the entire process felt bad. And then I played the minor build and I was like, yes, this feels so good again. I'm home. Like I understand what I'm doing. So I think moving forward, I'll probably try to have like a more traditional league start. Like there's a reason why pe certain people play like CDOT at the beginning of every single league or, or whatever it is that they do. Like they have the thing that works for them because I'd say like early league progression is really dependent on how quickly you can get to maps and how quickly you can access the other content that other people don't so that you can sell it, whether it's maps or hmm. fragments or access to certain things or... Getting, you know, like running the Itziri as soon as you have all four fragments to sell the flask or the boots or something because that, you know, those first three days are the only time it's going to be valuable the entire league. Otherwise, it's a 1C trade, like especially in a software economy, you got to move really fast. One thing that really encouraged me, um, I mentioned it, I don't know, just maybe five podcasts ago or something. I've been, I, I really enjoy guide writing, but I, I'm like you, I feel the crunch. Like the second patch notes hit, it's Christmas. But it's work time and I'm not going to sleep for a week and I got to get this done for league lunch. And you've heard of Kay's mm -hmm. summoner guide, I'm, I assume. I, I saw a post from her maybe four weeks 
into this league. It's like, hey, my guide's updated now for 311. And I was like, oh, you can do that. I should try that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, you know, so anyway, it was I, the only reason I wanted to bring it up is because uh, that, that, that actually encouraged me a bit. Like, I don't actually have to have my league launch guides, even though they're good league launch guides. I just, you know, you can wait. So anyway, that, that really encouraged me when I saw Kay do that, because she's got a pretty respectable guide, yep. right? And this is actually the first league I didn't upgrade or update every single guide that I had to 3.11. Like, this is the first time that I actually just, like, systematically rolled out updates versus, like, completely just, like, smashing them all out at once. I prioritized them accordingly. So the ones that I knew that were going to be really strong league starters, I made sure that they were updated. And then the ones that, like, are not league starters, like the Delve build, like, no one's going to have an indie gone and go deep delving in day one. So there was not a priority there to make sure that that one was 3.11 ready. So I'm trying to be a little bit mm. more systematic in my approach as far as like how I updated it and to try and roll it out in stages because the, the crunch is just not sustainable. And this league, I prioritize um, releasing my full leveling guide. And so that ate up a lot of time too. That's one you can keep league in, league out though. That's, that's, a, that's a good one to do. It's a very, like, some of my favorite times playing video games when I was younger was having the big, like, the the guide, like, the big magazine that went along with, like, your 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 console game so that you would follow along in the magazine as you, like, would yeah, yeah. different levels. Like, you had, like, the corresponding, like, book for Final Fantasy, whatever, and, like, you would, you'd, like, page through it. And that's sort of, like, kind of like that feel that I went for in the written guide where it is, it is dense. It is 30 pages of written, but it holds your hand through the entire leveling process and explains what boss mechanics are and it explains what resistances are. And it shows you where to go and what to do and what to pick up and what to prioritize and what you can skip and what you can't. And then even little like pockets of lore along the way so that you understand this world that you're running through and understand like what ray class is. That sounds awesome. And it's like that was like my favorite thing, you know, growing up playing games, you know, having the 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 book to go along with it. I don't even remember what you call those oh, anymore. Yeah. It's like so archaic, like game guides, guide books. Like yeah, what were those so. things even you called still back get them. then? I don't I'm even sure I've seen them. I don't remember what they were called either. They were awesome though. Oh, I still get them for Dark Souls. Dark Souls gets released. I got it. <laughs> Hardcover. You bet your buns. You betcha. No, man. And then it doesn't matter because the very next patch changes the freaking game. But anyway, whatever. Uh, now, I, these are the two most important questions. Save them for the end of the entire interview. What are your opinions on standard? League, there is a right or wrong answer. Go. I think standard is for people that have less time to play overall. I think that people that enjoy refining and perfecting gear, that enjoy feeling that powerful and want to have access to all the crazy broken shit from every single league that ever existed, and they want to consolidate that into one place and feel really powerful and enjoy doing shapers, entire shapers, not shaper DPS, but shapers per second damage, like where you're killing, you know, millions and millions and millions of damage all. Like, I think there's a there's a certain temperament for standard and I'm glad it exists for those people, but it's just not for me. Like, I need the constant content wipes. I need like new influx to perpetuate ideas and builds and everything like that. But. I understand the role standard has to play. I think that unfortunately, like it honestly suffers and a lot of people don't care that it suffers because not a lot of people play standard, but like really they have a lot of unfortunate stuff that they have to deal with on a regular basis just simply because the league cycle has become so important and it gets so much more time. 
that like they have to constantly like their their atlas gets effed up every single league whether they want it or not they play the same game but we wreck their shit every single league regardless or there's sometimes like these compelling arguments where they feel forced into playing a certain temporary league because otherwise they're not going to have access to something that could be like removed from the game um so there's a real like kind of like animosity there sometimes which is unfortunate and then the implementations of the league themselves are just not always like kind of going back to the, you know, like the metamorph argument. Like there's there's sort of these like really weird implementations of certain um, league mechanics too that leave like a lot to be desired too. Like if this is all supposed to be beta testing for like a core game, that idea of a cohesive core game simply doesn't exist. It's just a dumpster where everything goes to die. And then there's some people that kind of cherry pick everything and try and do the best of what they can there. And then the people that want to like create those really perfect, you know, items have the economy and the ability to do that because of what's there for them to access. So like, I, I don't admonish standard for existing. I would never play it. I've never once sorted any of my tabs ever. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, that's the that's, worst. If, if it even ever interested you, that's what would turn you off. Yep. You'd be uh, no, no. I'm out. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's okay to say it's garbage. <laughs> it honestly is, and I feel bad. But I don't like it's not my problem to it is fix. Fantastic. So you know, I was gonna shrug my shoulders. Like That's there's cool. people that get a lot out of the standard, especially if they like, you know, really perfecting a character, but can only play two hours, you know one or two days a week and that's like how fast they progress and that's the style and pacing of the game that they're comfortable with but it's definitely not for a majority of the people that play it and i know i'm glad it exists for the people that do that's like oh man soapbox time again i gotta get it back out (laughs) one last time the shittiest thing that's happening right now with the poe like culture or like the the genre of poe players that i i absolutely hate and I don't know what happened and I don't know what wrong and I don't know if this is just a POE problem or just like the sort of like degradation of temperament towards games over time. But the idea that people come into POE with and when they populate POE with their own experiences and their own expectations and their own temperaments, it really bothers me when people are like, I am not getting this game. Like there should be access to this game because this is how much I can play. Rather than inhabiting a, inhabiting a game like PoE and coming into it and looking at the entire spectrum from the people that play standard because they can only play 30 minutes like four times a, a month all the way to the people that can play 18 hours a day and go, holy shit, this is so cool that this game exists that can cater to those two ends of the extreme. And yeah. I fit somewhere in this that like they have a game that has so much content in it that Everyone, like all these different people of different player skill and time and everything like that, all get something out of it. And it's just really unfortunate that it becomes this like comparison constantly that like they have that I don't have or I have that they don't have. Like I know full and well that I will never have access to any of the stuff that I even see on streams because I just don't have like I don't have it in me as a player and a person. I don't have the temperament to be that effective. Like I, I, I like to like, I'm like basically the, I like to stroll through the, the field and pick daisies kind of player. And I could just, I can never be that precise. And I know that about myself and I accept it. I'm not mad. And so like, I just don't know. I don't know if that's something that's happened to gaming as a whole 
because like I disappeared into the wow hole for like 14 years and I didn't really pay attention to what happened in other games and other gaming environments during that time. Like it, my life was wow and that was it. But it, it just really surprises me in the last couple of like big blow ups on Reddit. I just find myself kind of pushing farther and farther away from the community because like, why? <laughs> yeah. Like. It's so cool. It's so inherently cool that there's a game that exists that has this sort of scale to it. I think the biggest problem is you you look at things like Reddit and the forums and you get a minority that's loud. Yeah. It's not I don't tend I don't tend to think it's the majority that's saying it or acting like that, but I mean, you kind of did see it a little bit in WoW back like even with Mythic raiding. If you couldn't get into a spot that was doing some of the content people didn't think the game was worth it i remember having issues in our guild for that so i I feel like people will find something to complain about if they can complain yeah that's true you just gotta shut them out it's one of those hard comment well we'll talk about this in after dark a bit it's it's one of those hard situations where you have a company that's really that really values being open with their customers and with their fans and they've mentioned many times that they love that, that, that they listen to our feedback, that they listen to Reddit, they listen to the posts on, on their own forums. And all of a sudden people like they're used to playing a game, any other game where the fans aren't heard. The company's just going to make a game and that's the way it's going to be. So play it or not. And when GGG actually makes changes according to fandom, people get in this attitude of, oh, wow, like, well, my opinion needs to matter. You know what I mean? My opinion has to happen and I expect what I want to happen. And uh, like you said, I really hope that people start remembering that this is like a massive, massive game. It's a massive that game. Hundreds of thousands of people play and it needs to cater to yeah, everyone. It's a massive game with one of the most aggressive content release cycles in the industry. In the, you know, in the in a genre that they are basically founders now, because there's no active RPGs that have action RPGs that have this type of content being developed on the regular. Like maybe we get Diablo 4 or maybe there's Torchlight 3 or these sorts of things, but these don't have the longevity that POE has. I mean, like D3 seasons, what a joke. I stopped after eight because it got stale as shit. And and I'm not defending because they've they've made several missteps along the way. There's been different ways that they've handled different leagues or communications and everything like that. It doesn't excuse the the problems that have come up, but it's just really important. And I don't feel like enough people maintain that perspective to kind of one. They're all people, and the shitty things that you say on the forums, absolutely, they they might not say anything, they may not reply, but there are so many different employees that go through the forums and see that shit, and my heart breaks for them. 100%. Because yeah. it's hard yeah. enough to, like, get a feedback on my forum guide where someone's like, your build sucks. I couldn't imagine to have the passion and, like, the drive and put in the hours that is necessary for game development just to deal with those types of shitty opinions from very selfish people. That's got to be so hard and difficult to deal with. Feel sorry for the Cyrus creator. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you agree with me that PC is dead and console is the future of Path of Exile? I think console has a certain market. Oh, you are way (laughs) too nice. (laughs) Um, I think console, like, action RPGs are really fun. I feel like the corresponding depth 
of PoE is something that's going to turn off a lot of console players because console players are inherently people that want to sit on their couch and have fun for a few hours. And a game like PoE isn't necessarily catered to someone with that sort of mentality and temperament. Like, there's going to be people that go really fucking hard at, you know, at the console games and ladder and do very well and have, like, good items and all that other kind of stuff. But there's going to be less onboarding, I think, long-term of players on console than there will be on PC. Because if you... I feel like PC gamers kind of, like, inherently know what they're getting into because they've played a lot of, like, super in-depth games where console games have statistically almost always been about experiences, cultivating certain experiences within, like, 20 to 60, maybe sometimes 80 to 120-hour brands, and then you go buy the next $60 game. Um, So something with, like, Path of Exile's longevity is kind of weird in, in the console scene. I don't think it's necessarily unwanted. I think there's plenty of people that are hungry for it. But it's traditionally being presented to an audience that doesn't really know what to do with a game like that. And I think that's going to be a real challenge for it going forward, especially mm. when we add the extra layers of an entire, you know, new leveling series of acts and 18 new ascendancies and all this other kind of stuff. Like, it's going to take the game that we have right now and just make it even more complicated and then push it out to a, an entire series of players that aren't necessarily hungry for that level of complexity. Some will bite and bite hard, but I don't know. So yes, you you agree with me that console is the future. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you agree. Fantastic. I think there's people that play console that'll get a lot of out of Poe. Special. I don't know. Special. Special <laughs> I have a, a question. So uh, it was about 13 episodes ago we found out for the first time that some people don't know how to grill <laughs> or that they haven't grilled before, and we were both relatively shocked. To find out that that was a thing. So we wanted to ask you, because we know that you do grill and that you know about grilling, if you have any sweet barbecue recipes. <sighs> yeah, like as a Floridian, grilling is just essential because not only is it just like hot <laughs> 10 months out of the year and like cooking in the kitchen creates heat and that's bad mm-hmm. because it's already hot enough outside. Why bring the hot inside too? So yep. like grilling is a staple. I cook as much as I can out on the grill. And I don't know, it's usually just the same sort of simple things. There's like, I guess one that you can have really easy access to, especially in the middle of this pandemic, that's really good, but underrated is that there's a, you know, like there's a different series of like rubs and everything else for different meats and otherwise. And I I think it's McCormick. They make a smokehouse maple rub. You put that on pork chops. And then you put a little of Worcestershire. I don't know how to say that word. Yeah, you put yeah. a little bit the of one. you put Nobody a little knows. bit of that Worcestershire whatever sauce on there, and they throw it on the grill, and it caramelizes perfectly. If you want those beautiful seared pork chops that are a little bit sweet and a little bit smoky, Dang. that's a yeah. that's a very <laughs> basic, simple, simple recipe. And I'd awesome. I'd tell you our family's rib recipe, but my dad would probably come hunt me down in the middle of the night. So I, I don't think I'll be sharing that one. But the secret, I can tell you the secret. The secret is apple cider. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to soak no, it in the self, obviously. It's you, <laughs> when you're, you actually, when you, you start the ribs, you put the sear on them and then you put them in foil. And a little bit of yep. apple cider and a little bit of uh, brewski of your choice. And then you mm. seal it all up and they're like bone, they fall off the bone and it's like half of the normal cooking time. So you basically, cool. like, you put the sear on them, you get the smoke in there, and then you basically, like, pressure cook them the rest of the way, and they get really tender. That's awesome. 
So this is your last night on earth? I will uh, <laughs> please publish this posthumously and make sure, you know, like my people know that we, I care about them. That's right. And then just like lots of grilled veggies. It's just so easy to put stuff in foil packets and throw it on the grill. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like the best. I'm a very simple creature when it comes to food. I think like food that's really simple and like ingredients that are minimum and just letting quality ingredients speak for the dish itself was like, I don't like to ever complicate things. I don't like people that try really, really hard when it comes to cooking that need like all these reductions and everything. Good technique, simple ingredients and fresh ingredients and like mastery of knowing how to cook what you're working with is all like and salt and pepper. Maybe some extra, like, you know, a little bit of extra, like get a rub or two or make your own rub. I think the thing I miss the most, though, is that I, I used to do a fair bit of hunting and I, I miss I miss venison chili. <laughs> I miss mm. making uh, like steak Diane with a uh, venison tenderloin instead. Like I just, I miss having access to some of the stuff that I, I just don't have access to anymore. It was like both seasons around the cover and I'm certainly not going to go out in the middle of all that craziness. How about, um, how about tattoos? Do you have a POE tattoo? Cause everybody should. And if you don't, what is it? Or what would it be? Oh man, I don't know. I, I do have ink. But I don't, I don't have a POE tattoo. Oh, I don't know what I'd get either. It's common. There's so many little things that are kind of like would be neat conceptually as a tattoo, but also like runs the uh, risk of being like too cheesy. Like any type of the currency as like a tattoo is like, ah, you know, like you might as well have just like put it on like one of those like printer like papers that you can then do a temporary tattoo because that's how shitty it's going to look all the time. With water. You know, yeah. Just like the that's little right. water tattoos. <laughs> But I like a lot of the art. So like some sort of tattoo in the style that's done in the div cards. Almost like how you see like the old, old school style tattoos. Like in like taking the art that you see on the div card in that particular style and then like adapting it to sort of like the same template and stylization that you see in like some of these other tattoo types that exist right now. I think could be really neat. So something done in the div art style, but like a, a piece Sweet. Oh, that's a good idea going through those div cards like not necessarily mimicking the div card but just mimicking the style the way that people would then adapt like their own design but do it in the old school style or you know there's a, the new watercolor tattoos are so pretty i would never get one because it's going to fade in like eight years and look like shit but you just got to retouch it every oh, year yeah okay because <laughs> who actually does that right you get the tattoo and you're like yeah i'm gonna go in and get this touched up every year and it's gonna look great all the time and then it's like man that was eight years ago I, I have one that I do get touched up, but the other ones yeah. I don't. <laughs> the one that you care about, you take care of. The one yeah. I care about, that's right. <laughs> up until maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, we used to do a newbie tip of the week. Tyler and I have pretty <laughs> much just died out of trying to come up with tips of the week. We've actually tried to just reduce it to tip of the week. Do you have one that you could give people? If you could, if you could pick if one. If you are like booting up Pewee for the first time, like... I think it's really, really important that the first like one to 200 hours that you spend in the game is 100% a sandbox experience. Like it's really good to use a guide to approach the game for the first time, especially if you're coming into it with like prior action RPG knowledge, you're going to kind of like know what to do. But for the people that are approaching this genre and don't care about efficiency and want to explore the like build mechanics and systems and everything else, I think it's really important that at least the first five acts are like a complete sandbox experience for you. Like, clear the entire zone. Who cares? 
you know, yep. run around with six skill gems and just figure out what you like. It doesn't matter that they're only two linked. Just like figure out what you enjoy in the game because once you approach that, the rest of it's just figuring out the puzzles to make that better, stronger, faster to your own personal temperament. And then like using that as a base print or like a blueprint to then tackle the rest of the game too, whether it comes down to bossing or mapping or anything like that. So it's, it's really important to let, not let other people define what you like in the game over some sort of like fear of efficiency loss or something like that. Just, just figure out what you like and then go from there. That's better than ours, Ty. Yeah, that, that was really good. That, that was really good. I really like that. We'll just, we'll just, sound clip that in our movie tip of the week every time and then we'll give it like a fun per hour rating at the end every time so where where can people find you i stream monday through saturday usually on uh twitch that's just slash brittle me um i'm on twitter and youtube as well though the youtube content don't hold your breath i try and put build guides out but that's about all i can do right now is manage like little build overviews because i think they're important but you know there's not going to be a lot of YouTube content, but I do. If you want to keep up with the racing scene, a lot of the stuff is um, gone through Twitter too. And then you can follow links and commands in the Discord and stream to find access to the different racing stuff. If that's something you're interested in and the build guides and everything else. And we have a league starting tomorrow, but they don't think they'll hear it, so right? We, uh, yesterday? Because this is going to come out sun- Sunday? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we just we just cut that part out then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will also, it'll no be way. in there. All, all the information you mentioned, we'll make sure it's in the show notes down below. Um, I think we'll pretty much wrap up episode forty-one of Forever Exiled, the Path of Exile podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Brittle. It's awesome chatting with Thanks you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. I'm Tags, aka Justin, Tyler Recker of Days. Catch our Patreons in After Dark and everybody else in episode forty-two. Peace. You can check out below for all of the show notes and links from today's episode. You can find us online, foreverexiled.com, Twitter, foreverexiled82. We are on our Patreon and our Discord links are below. And we've got all of Brittle's information and places you can find her as well linked below. Again, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks.